less less desk space, more collaboration space, uh, like different types of, of meeting rooms and meeting facilities and so on. Like just the basic thing of and really ensuring to, to be able to have hybrid meetings, to mm-hmm. have a have a conference room, but to really, really get, get good engagement from people participating remotely uh, mm-hmm. in, in that side as well. Not having them jump in and out and like sound is cutting off and so on. Those things really have to work now. This is super interesting because it means coming out uh, or thinking about this when we are maybe coming out of uh, COVID. Basically, said, do we really need our office space? You know, at the normal desk. Yeah. No, then we will work at home. Mm. So, what we really, really need, and then could you summarize it in two, three, four, five core bullets you were looking for? This is a good recipe, by the way, to think about. Oh, a collaboration space for sure, right? Collaboration space, working space, like having having uh, like a, a quiet, nice area as well to really be able to focus. Um, but also to really have social social space yeah. as well, because I mean, so, some people don't don't live with their family; they're single and stuff. Mm-hmm. They want to meet their colleagues. They want to have a community to to work with and feel that they're making friends and and like really really have something, not just work, not just delivering on tasks, but but do something bigger, being part of a community and driving towards solving oh, problems and so on. And also have the, the coffee machine effect, right? Yes. Yeah. Because uh, I think that's one of the big differences between the virtual uh, meetings that you have today and the normal meetings you have otherwise, that uh, you do normally meet outside the office when you meet physically and you have these kind of small talk meet uh, discussions and you meet at the coffee machine and you, you usually, I remember at least the, the university days I had, you know, these were really the most useful type kind of times yeah, where you could have this kind of discussions that wasn't really planned. Yeah, and I think like even though we're we're trying to find like to, we're trying to schedule some short calls to talk about nothing to yeah. not. Oh, you not, do that? Yeah, so we, we do that to some extent, but we're doing it with we some. We do too, actually. Oh, really? But but I, I think we're not doing it enough, and it's not substituting those those coffee machine uh, water cooler type. Yeah. Um, like when you stumble upon something, hey, what are you talking about over there? That sounds like something that connects to what I'm doing over here. Yeah. But 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 it's so many angles here because in one way. Super interesting to think what is the future office space all about? And clearly collaboration space is a no-brainer, but now you added social space, a coffee machine space or whatever you want to call it. And I think this has also something to do with um, when we are pivoting from a more tailoristic uh, siloed approach way of working. I mean, like what we have driven uh, efficiencies for years, right? Mm. Uh, separation of tasks. And now all of a sudden we in- understand to become data and AI ready is a multidisciplinary exercise. Yeah. So we need to understand each other. And uh, in the work we're doing with Airplane Alliance now, uh, Auburn University is doing a lot of research around multidisciplinary teams. And then mm-hmm. a key word that comes up where I think this now ties back together what type of space we need is tacit knowledge. So it's like it's tacit? tacit. So we're talking about different types of knowledge or mm-hmm. in order to do your job, you, you have your you, you have your skills in, in terms of uh, your, your experiences. And then you and then basically you build up in, in a group in a dynamic, you build up this informal knowledge, mm-hmm. how the group works that you know, how, how does an agile team become fast? You know, why aren't they fast the first day, but they are fast after one year? Mm. It's because they've built up an understanding and experience, a lingo. So it's a lot of knowledge, tacit knowledge that is a little bit harder to touch, but it's clearly there. And it's this gelling mechanism we need. So then all of a sudden, I would argue that how do you 
get different uh, disciplines who are not used to talk to each other to start meeting and building relationships. Yeah. This is the data engineer talking Python. Yeah. And this mm -hmm. is the domain expert, the surgeon talking Latin. Yeah. You know, we need a coffee machine so they can talk bullshit and find the no <laughs> new yeah, language. Yeah. No, but actually, we're, we're actually doing doing that kind of stuff inside the comment network as well. Yeah. Actually, just, just two weeks ago, I was moderating a session that where we uh, invited uh, senior legal counsels from our, our group of 31 global corporates yeah. and innovation leaders. Mm. So, uh, and, and they were discussing together a discussion of, about how to how to overcome the legal challenges of collaborating with startups. Yeah. How do you manage your IP, commercial setups, uh, and so, so on? So we have many different skill sets yeah. so it's the corona is coming out of covid and into the new office is not only about coming into going back to a tayloristic siloed approach but we are at the same time the digitalization has used ramped up so we need to also go back to something which is new normal so i think it's a lot of things happening here at the same time Indeed, yeah. breaking the norm and doing first principle thinking uh, in terms of office space first principle thinking <laughs> on office space i love it well, cool. And um, you want you're you're actually moving into a new office, you said, right? Yes, and, uh, Monday morning. Monday morning. Uh, yeah, uh, that's, that's a lot of work, I guess. To <laughs> so have you packed? Have you packed your bags? Are you ready to go? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> actually, I haven't been to to my current office for like uh, uh, three four months or so. Uh, mm -hmm. So it's the, today was the first time I went and just packed packed a, a box with my my stuff. Mm. Yeah. yeah. yeah awesome. Awesome. Let's um, start off and, and uh, introduce also uh, Johan Harvard. And we're very pleased to have you here. We've met in a number of times in AI Agenda and, and I think a lot of other occasions as well. I think I've been to Combient as well a number of times. And uh, you also have such an interesting background. So I think a lot of people will appreciate you know, hearing from you um, of your thoughts about data and AI. But um, before we start with that, how would you describe yourself? Who is Johan Harvard? Who am I? Uh, well, uh, I like to solve problems uh, of, of uh, problems of larger magnitude, basically. Uh, and I like to do so by bringing people together from different disciplines to, to work on problems together. I like to understand problems and really f the, understand the, the moving parts uh, that constitute a problem and then try to uh, form, form teams and, and activities that can really address that. Mm -hmm. And so over my, my career so far, I've been doing that for, for, different, um, for different purposes, different customers and different users in different ways. Mm -hmm. And today I'm doing it in, in something called Combient. Yes. It's a pretty, uh, pretty cool thing. Uh, and uh, in my previous, uh, previous jobs, I've been traveling the world, looking at how different countries are, are trying to boost innovation and digital transformation mm -hmm. and use of AI and so on. And before we move to Combient, perhaps yeah. we should just go through a bit about, you know, the different steps, because you have a number of interesting places you've been to, I think, as well. Sure. So if you start a bit from the beginning, you know, where did you get started? I guess you, you had an education in, in more of, uh, or what was the type of education you actually did? Yeah, actually in, in high school, I, I studied uh, mathematics and like programming. So a lot mm -hmm. of computer science. Uh, so I was, I was like the really typical computer nerd kind of guy uh, mm -hmm. that lived with my computer and my computer friends. Uh, and, and really thrived uh, in that and, and found that really exciting. Uh, but then uh, being done with, with high school, a couple of friends said, hey, let's, let's just go to university and, and study something for fun. Uh, so, and and that, that became a first step into more 
of the, the, the social uh, type and societal questions where mm-hmm. I went into uh, economics and national economics, uh, more business side and uh, political science and right. all these uh, statistics as well. So, so uh, and, and then after I was, I was supposed to used to do like one or two semesters and then move into my, my real studies. And I applied to Chalmers and was accepted to, to do an en- engineering degree in, in computer science. Uh, but actually, I, I turned that down in the end and, and decided that actually uh, looking into more like social engineering and how can we like engineer away the societal challenges, that's actually even more interesting than, than, than just coding. Right. Um, so, so you're, you're cursing to me right now, but that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm with you. I'm with you. So, you, so basically, the, the engineering, you know, nerd gone uh, humaniora or going business, or is it more business or humaniora or more? Uh, when you say social engineering, I find that a really interesting uh, view. Yeah, no, but I think I mean the with the, the challenges that individual companies and, and people and teams try to address, they're also part of, of bigger societal challenges. Mm-hmm. That's, so I think it's really interesting to, to try and look at those like bigger picture uh, challenges as well and see how can we how can we set up our society to be to be uh, equipped to actually try and tackle these challenges. Um, so yeah, um, business definitely. Uh, I think business is an essential part, uh, really mm-hmm. really core to be able to t- tackle these challenges. Uh, and, and creating wealth for for society and and uh, uh, enabling good life for people and so on. And just for people who don't understand what political science mean, I, I mean, I, I'm personally you know very interested in in that field as well. Um, although it's sometimes a bit frustrating because you don't understand it. And it's probably because I didn't take the the education that you have. But how would you describe you know what political science is all about? But it's really, um, I mean, at its at its core, about how how do we rig our society and set up our society to to achieve certain goals mm-hmm. and and depending on which ideology and, and political philosophy you have you might want to end up in different uh, solutions uh, but but in the end like you you need political scientists and and policy makers that can craft regulation and, and uh, various initiatives to, to drive society in that direction right. so so i was i was trained to become like kind of person that can can craft policy basically in in, in the end um, and we're going to speak a lot more about that uh, today or so that's why it's so <laughs> exciting to have you here today yeah. and to have that specifically about the new today. eu proposal and whatnot about the eu regulation and things yeah. like that so that's that's a re- really interesting part but then okay you moved into industry and you worked for a number of companies right can you just mention a couple of uh, places you worked with yeah, so so one of the really f- um, um, forming places for me was was a management consulting uh, company that I worked for. It's actually the the management consulting arm of a large engineering company called Rumble, a, a, a Danish uh, uh, Danish group of company. Uh, and that, that that was really good training ground for me to uh, to work with with customers uh, a lot in the public sector actually doing uh, like quantitative uh, evaluation and, and assessments of, of policy, uh, but also working with with the private sector uh, to look into like strategy support and, and uh, uh, advisory in different roles there. So uh, I think the the consulting job was really really useful uh, as a newly graduate to understand understand the problems of the customer and, and how do we how do we work to really address that and solve that and also forming multidisciplinary teams uh, mm-hmm. to see that okay I might be 25 years old 
but I can actually be a project manager with someone who's 50 years old and, and bring that together with a statistician over here and, and, and uh, someone else over there. And together, we're really addressing the problems of this customer and helping them uh, move forward. That's great. And after that, you moved into also the more of the agency uh, part of your career, right? Or what were the next steps? Yeah, so also working with uh, uh, the Swedish agency for for growth policy analysis. So uh, and that's Tilväxverk in Swedish, right? Tilväxanalys, actually. Ah, Tilväxanalys. So so not not the doers, but the analysts ah, okay. uh, and the, the evaluators. Is, mm-hmm. it, is that part of Tilväxverket, or is that part where where Tilväxanalys? Where did that belong? Uh, no, it's actually an independent agency. It is called uh, this. Yeah, so so they're tasked with oh. evaluating pu- public policy and and look at does it work w- was was it actually well spent uh, tax money on something that that made a made a difference within the area of business basically business mm. policy uh, economic growth policy innovation policy um, policy to, to drive competitiveness in society and my my main areas there were, were around uh, clean tech digital transformation uh, venture capital a lot about VC as well looking into the VC market in Sweden and, and how that works so this is uh, this is new new knowledge for me like we have an agency called Tilvex Analyse I didn't know that that's fantastic yeah, no, we, we have, so relevant by the way yeah we have we have a couple of uh, smaller agencies doing that in, in Sweden Mm-hmm. So that was that was that, and then I moved into the uh, the Swedish government and uh, government offices and, and uh, back in 2014. And was it the regeringskansliet from the start, or in different uh, uh, positions in the regeringskansliet, or is it different parts of the Swedish government? Uh, no, in uh, I worked in uh, in Näringsdepartementet all the time, yeah, since since 2000, 2014. So Ministry of Enterprise and, and Innovation, mm-hmm. and. Uh, uh, so starting uh, under the former uh, alliance government with uh, Annie Löv as the uh, Minister of Business. And, and then uh, as the government changed, it was Mikael Damberg who was Minister of, of Enterprise and Innovation. Uh, and then later on from 2018-19, Ibrahim uh, Bailan. Mm. Uh, but obviously I worked with um, many different ministers, not just my main minister, but, but other ministers as well on like digital affairs and uh, foreign policy uh, trade. Uh, we need to we need to park to how does it work? Uh, you know, maybe it has changed a little bit, but it would be nice to take it to get an understanding for how how, how does government work on mm. on operational level, so to yeah. speak. Yeah. That would be That's very nice point. as a topic, actually. Think, yeah. yeah, please. And, and can you describe describe a bit more? Because you, you were also coordinating a bit of the AI efforts that we had in uh, Regeringskansliet or in the uh, Näringsdepartement, etc. Yeah. But can you just speak a bit more about you know how does the the general you know, wait with the AI part for now, but but just you know how are these departments working in general, and how do they you know work as policymakers mm. um, to yeah come up with the best decisions they can? Yeah. So, so it can come from from different directions, uh, but one one key aspect is that the Swedish um, ministries are pretty small in terms of headcount compared mm-hmm. to other countries, uh, which means that individual uh, in, individual people within the ministries they have a lot of responsibility. They have a lot on their plate mm-hmm. and are managing pretty, pretty large portfolios of, of questions. Mm-hmm. So, so uh, and and and. Uh, in the end, there, so the topic of AI ended up on my uh, on my desk. So I was yeah. responsible for coordinating that. But basically, uh, the, the the tasks that you have to solve and what how how you address that can come either from from inside, like the government decides that they want to do something. We want mm-hmm. to have an action on on this area, and then you get it on your your desk to mm-hmm. try and see. Okay, so these are my instructions. They want to achieve this. 
uh, and then I can look into see okay what are the options what is what is my policy making toolbox that I can look into yeah. uh, and uh, depending on how much time and resources I have I can also go in and ask experts so that, that was my uh, my preferred way of doing things like calling up five ten people in this area uh, hey if, if you would if you had this task what would you do mm. that's cool and and see okay so okay well how do we boost this thing how do we improve competitiveness of swedish med tech industry or how do we improve co- cooperation between swedish academia and industry and make sure that that uh, that uh, academic research is contributing to to competitiveness and so on mm-hmm. so what what tools do you have in the toolbox so to speak so let's say that you now want to accelerate ai for example yeah what can you do i mean you have taxes you have regulation what can you do really to to, uh, from a you know, government point of view, try to, for example, accelerate AI. Yeah, I mean, there's, uh, I mean, in in theory, there's many things you can do. You could mm-hmm. you could like uh, have tax deductions for organizations that want to invest in in AI. So you can find some kind of definition and say that similar to 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 companies investing in like uh, wellness and healthcare for their employees, they can get a tax subsidy. You, you could do something like that as well. Then mm-hmm. that that would like boost maybe AI across the board. However, that would have a lot of so-called dead weight. Mm-hmm. You would be throwing money at stuff that would be happening anyways. Uh, which is a waste of taxpayers' money. So that's maybe too broad of an incentive uh, to, to to set up. But that's that's one kind of policy you can you can, you can set up. Yeah. And they can have more targeted initiatives, uh, and saying that uh, well, we'll do a call through Vinova that yeah, uh, the best uh, the best ideas around this area can get funding with X million Swedish crowns, and you can do a project. And Vinova is this uh, innovation agency that is also funded by the government, right? Or how would you describe Vinova? Yeah, exactly. So so the government has a number of more operational bodies set up that can do uh, hands-on work, basically, in, in society to, to address certain challenges. So you have so Vinova, for instance, that is tasked with, with driving innovation uh, in, in Sweden in different ways. And then you have the Swedish Agency for Economic Growth, Economic and Regional Growth, Tillväxtverket, yeah. which are promoting economic growth and, and regional development and, and uh, a number of different things. So you can, in some way, also control a bit what they should focus on, right? Or no, definitely you can. Yeah. They are tools of the government. Yeah. They, 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 their job is to 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 actuate for the government, basically, mm. and that is done in different ways. They so they get uh, they have they have a, a long-standing uh, assignment, like a, a short document saying that this is the basic purpose of your of this agency, this is what you're supposed to achieve. Then they get annual uh, instructions, regleringsplan, uh, mm. so that where you have like a number of specific assignments for, for this year, that this year you should focus on this and this and this, and we'll, we'll measure you on these KPIs. Uh, but then you also have special government assignments that can come irrespectively uh, during the year. We want the white paper on this. Yeah, please, uh, please look into the AI market for us and see what are the, what are the bottlenecks and the strong points of, of Sweden. Uh, and and, and we, we, we want to have a report done uh, like in half a year. But we also in Sweden have a bit of a different law uh, called, in Swedish, and it's not allowed for ministers to, to actually do specific actions, right? And, and how... how how you describe that? What is the limitations that, like, uh, yeah, Nadine's department, for example, can do and cannot do? Yeah. So uh, basically, uh, the Swedish government is uh, uh, a bit special in, in in one sense that it is a consensus government. Mm-hmm. So as uh, in, for instance, in Germany, 
the minister of, of economy, he can go and say, okay, I want this agency to do, do this without conferring with the rest of the government, basically. Right. So, so and, and, and because of that, he can move faster and, and have things happening. They can also create interesting conflicts where you have like government actually disagreeing on stuff and, <laughs> and assigning agencies to do different things that aren't, are, are in conflict with each other. But in Sweden, we have the consensus government, so all decisions are, are made in consensus. So, so which that means that when, when, when uh, my minister wanted to do something, uh, he first had to get, up, get approval from, from all the other ministers, basically. And they all have veto rights and can, can come with change requests and so on. So, so um, that means that, that you cannot then, as a minister, go and run off and say, say to an agency, hey, the, the, you should be doing this and this, without first checking it formally with the rest of the government. Uh-huh. And then also you cannot uh, step in and say, I want you to fund this company. Right. Or you, I want you to, to do this with this individual, allow them asylum or like to do stuff in that sense. You're giving instructions on, on how the agency should be operating overall, but not in, in specific individual cases. Mm-hmm. So, so partly it's about the consensus part, and, and please correct me, I'm probably wrong here, but, but it's also about, you know, you can give some kind of directions to the different agencies you have, but they then have some freedom at least to you know, decide how to actually implement that, right? Yeah, and, and basically that depends on how you write up the assignments. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so for me, when I came from a background of, of also evaluating uh, government policies previously, uh, that was something that I was quite keen on. When I was giving assignments to Vinova, mm-hmm. I, I was very, um, very keen to, to provide flexibility where I saw that that was um, where there was a lot of room for that. So I think here we, we can really use the expertise and the innovative capacity of Vinova to find the best solution for this topic. Nice. But in other areas, I was, wanted to be really strict about this is really important. You cannot deviate from these this, instructions. You could, you, this is more like giving a frame and this is more instruction. Exactly, yeah. So, so you have both those tools in, in relation to how you then frame the assignment as such. Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah, so interesting. We could have a whole show just about you know, no, how but, the government but, and, works. And I think but, uh, in, 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 in the topic of making Sweden data and AI ready, to understand these mechanisms is part of the whole game. Yeah. Because and I, and I think the more the whole industry like uh, like understands the whole chain of of events, uh, we can influence it in a better way. Because I, I I truly think this is one of those topics where you truly need a lot of expertise that you can't expect anyone to have in in policy making and at the same time be an AI coder, right? So 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 the more the whole ecosystem understands each other. Back to the social uh, coffee machine discussion, uh, I mean, the better it is. I, mean, I, I think you can also draw, draw a lot of correlation uh, to what happens now with Corona and Folkhälsomyndigheten, mm. who is at least uh, what I think given a lot of authority and freedom to decide, you know, how they should really, you know, implement the Swedish. Uh, way, if you call it that, or approach to it, right? Mm. But still, I, I guess they do get um, directions, at least from the government, in, in this is what we think and believe. Or how, how would you describe it? Do, do you think, would you say that the Folkhälsomyndigheten has been given too much freedom here in how they think they should operate things? Or is this a good way of handling crises like Corona? Yeah, I mean, uh, that's, uh, that's actually a pretty tricky question because, I mean, giving very detailed instructions 
that might be useful in some cases, but then like as the situation changes, mm. th- those instructions are obsolete. And then you have locked yourself into a corner and, and they cannot maneuver and, and, and change. So like the balance of having flexibility versus uh, versus predictability and really being specific is, is a tough nut to crack there. Mm-hmm. And that, that's, actu- that's actually a, a thing that I've been thinking about for the, the European proposal on AI right. regulation as well. Right. Like we would like to have uh, we would like to have predictability and really know which things are allowed and which are not allowed. Mm. So we we'll not have this huge gray area where that might be allowed. We don't know. But then obviously, if, if you have that really specific uh, set of rules, then it's really rigid. And, and how does that work over time? But, but this is also extremely interesting to understand uh, authority uh, in relation to who has the best information to make uh, good decisions. And uh, you, you all heard about Simon Sinek, right? Simon Sinek is the guy who wrote the book, Start With Why. So he's, you know, you can Google him and you can find him on YouTube. But, but he's, 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 this is very American in one way, but it's a lot about what is changing now from Tayloristic leadership, you know, like how many stripes you have on, on your shoulder, to, then you make decisions, to when we are getting into more of a circular economy, networked economy, or basically a very expert-oriented economy, you really need to know what you're, you need to have conscious decisions on quite operational level. Mm. So he's also highlighting a lot of, you know, how does this decision pyramid look like? Where basically this is agility going to servant leadership and ultimately pushing authority closer to information. So, yeah. so, so I remember when I was in Vattenfall, a tricky question, should we be more central in our decision making or more decentralized? And Magnus Hall, the CEO at that point in time, he, he put it brilliantly, we should make decisions where they are best made. A very stupid uh, argument or discussion, but if you, if you, it's profound, right? Mm. So who has the best conscious information to make this decision? And then, well, it, you can sort that out. Uh, but it's quite different to say Tayloristic, everything should follow chain yeah. of command, right? So I think th- we go back to Helsingvorsmyndighet and when you have such a need for information, really on a daily basis, really tricky to take that away from the guys in the know-how, I think. Yeah. I think we've never seen as many professors or experts on morning news shows as we have in the last year, uh, given the corona situation. I, I think it's a good thing, but, but it's the, also it also has problems. You know, if yeah. you, you have you know even experts are disagreeing a lot, and sometimes someone needs to make a decision mm. and be consequent. That's the point. You know, have a consistency the in thing. the way you execute things. So it, it's not a super simple thing or super simple no. answer, at least not to me, at least how you yeah. do that, right? No, definitely, and and I mean that that goes for for AI as well. Like you yeah. you might have your experts, but they might be really deep in their domain and and, yeah. and not really see how that links to other other level, uh, areas of expertise and, and know how and see how how that can fit together and really make a difference. But did you follow this? I mean, like I, I took a very uh, private pic- interest, uh, not the hobby is the wrong word, to try to understand how does it work in different parts of the world? I lived several years in Australia, so I have, uh, I have good connections in Australia and I, I know how the, the legal system works fairly well in Australia. And you know, the, the, the societies are very different, right? The view of, of government is different. How we trust authorities is different. So it also means that one type of way of working on uh, making decisions and, and, and delegating decisions or, or not even making laws, but guidelines would work in Sweden 
would never work in some other uh, countries. So, but have you contrasted? Have you followed? Because I, 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 I took an interest in trying to understand Swedish way, but r- a little bit deeper on what's the Australian way in this, and then the American way a little bit. So, have you looked at that? I, f- I found that extremely interesting. Any, any thoughts? Any? Yeah, I mean, it's there's a, there's huge cultural differences, mm. and and that the cultural differences and history impacts how the legal systems are are shaped and framed, and exactly. and like how what you need to regulate and what you can can steer with other ways. Mm. And now you see like uh, the the FCC in in the US, they ah. came up with a blog post post about how, how algorithmic. Uh, uh, discrimination will, will should be banned, something, uh, something like that, and and that basically is, is almost working like regulation because they know that if FCC is uh, a, a blog post on that, then things are getting this real. Is con- this is the way of hinting we are going here. Yeah, exactly. But that's a far cry compared to like oh. European approach and really like throwing down. <laughs> yeah, two years work on the the latest one. Yeah. Awesome. Uh, so many interesting stuff there. Yes. But should we move to mm. Combient, perhaps? Yes. And uh, for people, if you just start, you know, for people that don't know what Combient is, how would you describe it? Uh, yeah, so Combient is is um, uh, a pretty unique setup uh, that is today working with 31 uh, Nordic global corporate, Nordic uh, HQ'd corporates, uh, with the uh, with the intent of speeding up their digital transformation overall through collaboration and joint work. So we have a group of only non-competing companies. So, for oh. instance, we have we have Ericsson, but not uh, Nokia. Right. We have Scania, but not AB Volvo, for instance. Uh, and that means that these companies, uh, since we're in a non-competing uh, group of of uh, uh, companies, they can share a lot, right. and they can share a lot about how they're approaching challenges, and that enables a lot of collaboration as well. Since a lot of the digital challenges that they're facing, such as how to get value from AI and build an AI-rated organization has a lot of similar challenges, uh, either if your your name is Electrolux or if it's Scania, for instance. You have different products, perhaps, mm-hmm. but 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 hiring talent, working with data, setting up these structures, working with, with pilots, scaling that into production across the globe, different uh, legal systems, and so on and so forth. There's a lot of, of similarities there. And we are helping them to, to address that challenge uh, in, in a number of different ways. Huh? Yeah, uh, it's like we've been saying a number of times, AI is a GPT, a general purpose technology, and uh, I Indeed. guess a lot of other things are, but I think especially AI is surprisingly general and, yeah. and spreads across different sectors like Electrolux and Ericsson and, and whatnot, right? Yep, definitely. So so Combian today has uh, 80, almost 90 uh, employees, I think. Mm-hmm. And we're serving a group of 770,000 employees in, in, our, in our, our total group of companies. So has there been so a conscious focus on the, the large enterprises? Yes, uh, indeed. And, and it actually started, Combian was formed six years ago. And, and as you might have heard, it was started uh, by uh, the Wallenberg family, basically, mm-hmm. with a number of their companies that where they had big holdings, uh, where they saw that these companies are, are really awesome companies uh, that have, have cutting-edge projects, uh, products on the market, getting uh, high profit margins and so on, and, and really renowned for, for good quality and so on. However, they were also sharing something else in common, and that was that they were a bit slow at really adopting the digital opportunities. Mm. So how can, how can we speed them up? How can we make sure that, that these companies will also be competitive in the future and not be overtaken by, by Chinese or U.S. competitors? How can we speed them up? Well, uh, 
We can we can boost basic research in the in, in the Nordics. We can form VASP, the Wallenberg Autonomous Systems and Software uh, Program that was formed. Um, and AI these days. And I, AI these days, yeah, yes. with AI addition definitely. And in that uh, in that time also Combiant was formed to be more of an operational boost uh, for for these uh, this group of companies. So who, who how, how was it founded? What, so was the back was it, so it, it was sprung out of VASP. Or was it sprung separately to VASP? Se- separately, yeah. So, so VASP is, is really on basic research and mm-hmm. academic research. And, and Combiant is a completely different yeah. approach to boost digital transformation and accelerate digital. So, in- so out of investors, say, setting up uh, VASP or uh, yeah. Combiant more or less? Starting with investor and, and yeah. the other Wallenberg-owned uh, companies. Mm-hmm. Uh, starting with 11 companies, but mm-hmm. then has grown uh, over time. Mm-hmm. And now we are... A lot of companies that have no Wallenberg affiliation whatsoever. So, mm-hmm. so I mean, there are many companies in the group that have nothing to do with, with that family. But, but the, the prerequisites are that new members, uh, new companies in, in our network, they have to be non-competing with the old ones. So we can never have Nokia in the group as long as Ericsson is in. Uh, and they have to be able to contribute to their peers. So if you want to be part of this, there has to be a reciprocal sharing as well. You cannot just, just come and want to extract insights from, mm-hmm. from the others. You have to sh- contribute and share as well and work with the others. And, and what are the services that Combiant provides to these companies? So the, the first one and, and the biggest one is, is really to, to have a platform for insight sharing. So we're, we're gathering mm-hmm. peers in different specific areas and allowing them to to, to share how they're approaching uh, specific challenges. And, and how do you implement that? I mean, a platform, what do you mean? Do, do you have meetings? Do you actually write it down? Do you share documents? Do, what do you do? Yeah, all of that, basically. Okay. We, we, get, we have a lot of, uh, it used to be face-to-face meetings, so gathering mm. senior leaders in, in smart manufacturing, in, uh, uh, in advanced uh, analytics, in AI, in data, in cybersecurity, uh, in, in HR, upskilling, and so on. And, and gathering those peers that are in a specific inside a specific domain uh, and uh, having them share in, on specific topics like how are you how are you addressing upskilling digital upskilling on on a, on a wide scale if you have 20 30 40,000 employees uh, globally and i must say you mentioned cybersecurity a number of times and it's a personal interest of mine as well perhaps we can have that as a separate topic yeah. later uh, i'd love to, to and, hear and, more about that and is it only um, swedish companies swedish and finnish companies uh, so far um, but uh, I mean, the companies have have presence all over the world. Yeah, so global working. companies, but 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 there has some sort of roots in the Nordics or Sweden and Finland. Yeah, so so, so far, so share, far. sharing like a cultural DNA or, or mm-hmm. like a, a value based approach, uh, I guess, is is, is essential. Mm-hmm. But we're working with with uh, everything from from like Chinese based operations to uh, to Southeast Asia to to Europe to uh, to the Americas and so on so we're working across the globe awesome and if we move into more of your role there how, how would you describe what's uh, the main uh, role that you have is so i am a, i'm one of a couple of orchestrators you could say in in Combiant. so i have uh, three, four, five uh, colleagues that are doing the similar job as me um, which is then to, to work with, with the companies um, to, to help them along this journey, to bring in experts where that is needed and to see opportunities and see their, see their problems uh, and, and work on ways of addressing that. And, and that, that can be done with, uh, with, with bringing in knowledge from other companies, saying that, okay, you have a, have a challenge here in 
optimizing your supply chain. You have a, a lot, a lot of costs there and want to address that. Or you want to, to improve the way you can interact with ecosystems around the world and work with startups and have them develop solutions on, on your platform. How can you do that? Well, actually, some of these other companies have tried that and have learned from that and we can, can bring it together. But then we also have, have, based on requests from the companies, we built also more, more operational services. So we have, we have a team of, of 40, 40, almost 50 uh, data scientists and data engineers, uh, which obviously is a big, uh, a big part of Combiant these days, where, where I'm working with the companies and with our team of, of data experts to help them solve that problem and accelerate their, their AI journey in that sense to be able to get, get value from data and analytics. So you could call it, you have a, a common like a resource pool, if you call it that, of experts inside Combiant that can be used yeah. for the different uh, companies you're working with, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, so I'm, I'm working with everything then from, from CEOs and like uh, group management all in, in these companies down to more operational levels inside the divisions, inside specific teams as well to, to help them uh, move along in mm-hmm. different ways. Mm-hmm. Cool. And... I know there are different departments inside Combian, Combian Mix, etc. What are these kind of separate departments? So basically, uh, we the Combiant, we're, we're really, really uh, proud of being able to 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 build support services. And 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 the first question though is that we ask that when when companies come to us and ask for for help with when uh, with something, we we look look outside and see is there something else that can actually solve this already. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when when the answer to the question is no, uh, we can form a service inside Combiant and b- build something jointly. One of those services, for instance, is, is Combiant Mix, mm-hmm. that that started from a couple of companies coming and saying that we cannot hire. Uh, world-class uh, data science talent. Mm-hmm. And when we manage to hire them, uh, they leave to Spotify <laughs> after a while. Uh, so can you help us with that? We, mm-hmm. we need to get this talent to be able to, to move on. Uh, so so Combian Mix was formed from that. It started out as a, as a separate or as, as a team inside Combian. But then as it grew, it became like a, a pretty big service and it needed management of its own. Mm-hmm. So we put Combian Mix in a, 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 a in a separate company, a majority owned by Combian, yeah. but can, can also be boosted by some of the Combian uh, network companies mm-hmm. with some extra equity. Mm-hmm. Uh, and is managed today by, by a gentleman uh, named Ali Sarafi that worked uh, in Spotify with you, yes. I think, yeah, back in the days. Um, so, so they're they're now uh, a really interesting uh, service that they have set up to to really support the organizations in becoming more mature and, and really being able to work with with AI and getting value from from mm-hmm. data and analytics in different ways, mm-hmm. We're ranging from specific projects, but more and more working with really equipping the organizations of how to address uh, how, how to address and how to how to work with with data and analytics to get value from it. So a lot of it these days is, is about how to how to rig and organize your company for it, how to how to train your staff as well, mm. um, and do hands-on training and so on. Oh, uh, so interesting, and I'm eager to ask specific questions about um, projects, etc. But I, I know you you may not be able to, to talk, talk about specific projects, or or do you have something, some example project that you could potentially speak about? You know, that just make it really concrete. You know, what Combiant can help with in some way. Yeah, I mean, a couple of projects are are uh, something that we've shared previously. Uh, there's, for instance, uh, a project we've done for for LKAB, mm-hmm. so the the large mining company up north in Sweden, uh, which is also part of Combiant, uh, that uh, had a problem then and, and came to us around. Uh, they had they had a shortage of geologists that can go into the the tunnels of the mines and assess is this iron ore or is it just 
regular rock. Mm. Uh, so uh, we, we helped them look at uh, what kind of photography they had already and how can you find a solution to actually maybe do some, some, um, some, uh, some image analysis and lo- look at images of, of the rock wall and see is this mm. something that we should send out the geologists to, to actually address. So, so just take pictures with cameras and try to analyze that using AI or what? Pretty okay. much, yeah. So having, having operators that are already down in the mine, uh, already down there uh, and, and can, can just shoot, cam- uh, shoot photos and, and uh, have some some uh, some analytics on that to, mm-hmm. to analyze does this look like like iron ore should we send the geologist down to double check mm. um, so that's that's a simple thing um, there's plenty plenty of, of projects uh, obviously to to uh, to address uh, the, the challenge of these companies uh, but one other another one that's public as well is the uh, the, the applied analytics applied data analytics campus Applied AI campus that we've done mm-hmm. for a couple of companies, uh, and, and obviously Ericsson being the big one. Mm-hmm. And Ericsson, uh, after working with with providers across the world, uh, came to us and said that, "Can you guys in Combian? Can you help us do more applied uh, AI training for our staff? Mm-hmm. Uh, they can't just run a MOOC online and, and expect people to be able to to work tomorrow uh, with AI and analytics projects. Mm-hmm. We need more hands-on training." Right. And since we've we've done that already with with Scania and a couple of others, we together with with uh, with Ericsson developed a service to, to be able to do that, which is a, basically a really hands-on training uh, program uh, for uh, already then uh, people that has some analytical skill already, so engineers and analysts and so on, to be able to to equip them with the with more of the machine learning type toolbox and, and get get to know that type of toolbox and and that's been been so amazing to see that. They don't need so much theory. Mm-hmm. Uh, coaching them, working with them on real projects and real data from right. their their daily work has been able to to equip them to really start going back to work and and putting putting it to work, putting it in practice, getting value from. And it's such an important problem, you know, more upskilling kind of questions, and you know, it's one thing what the universities does, with the, which is super important, of course, and they're trying to move into providing more lifelong learning kind of. Uh, courses and events as well but it, it's kind of hard and it was really hard you know at, at Spotify as well when we tried to find you know, what is a good like upskilling from data science point of view and um, yeah, is, it, is it the situation you would say today you want that you basically have to do it yourself and, and develop these kind of hand, hands-on courses yourself to, to have sufficiently good or do you think there are opportunities today to use universities your universities or other private companies to, to try to do this kind of upskilling uh, courses no, but I, I mean, there's there's plenty of good courses out there already uh, mm-hmm. that you can do on your spare time or part time. Um, but but you can only come so far with with theoretical studies yeah. and, and like fictitious cases that you're doing with with right. made up data. But when you start applying it on your daily problems that you're addressing in your job as an engineer, mm-hmm. then that's something else. And then you can really take that to. to uh, Take it to your daily daily work, and that's that's something else. And I think that's that's something that was that was missing that from our perspective. Right. That is really essential to be able to to equip people to work with this. But I, I would take it even one step further. I mean, like I have several examples, both within Ericsson uh, from previous life. But don't you also, in the end, um, very soon, th- you you have a generic knowledge of you know, trained to do things that you can be educated, but then very soon you get into a context. This is the context of the actual chosen selected tech stack in this organization. And this is actually how the process works in this company. 
So, so one of the most successful um, training exercises I've been ar- around was actually many years back in, in a previous life where uh, Ericsson moved from uh, their, their VPM and project-centric R&D to product, product model to product lifecycle management. So basically it was a major thing to certify like give you a driver's license to anyone in the role of product manage, product management or product owner. And basically it's, it's then a combination of theory, it's a combination of tools and how yeah. to work, but then ultimately, you know, what we, what we did uh, for Ericsson was to basically put together, well, what's the ways of working training Mm. in product mm. management. So I'm, I'm talking about, is it enough to do a, a, a you know, a, a, um, a data citizen, data science test generic, or do I need yeah. to take it one step further? What's the data citizen ways of working given this tech stack, given this process, given this budget frame? Yeah, you I know. think that's, that's really important as well. And you're, it's, it's not enough to have people that are, are, are like aware of the data science toolbox and how you can... How so you this can is stuff. good. I mean, like it's, this it's is a good, definitely a good so start. So zero, this is step one. Yeah. But then to get speed and acceleration and get the whole machinery working, Yeah. There are some fundamental choices, right? Are we working open source? Are we working cloud? Are we working on-prem? Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, or but there, I think there's, there's a lot of other challenges as well, yeah. more business-type challenges yes. as well, that it doesn't matter what, what tech stack you have if you don't have demand and pull from the uh. business. So, so we see we see many companies struggling where they're 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 setting up an advanced analytics uh, center of excellence and they're hiring like top talent PhDs and so on and, and being able to attract them is, is great. Training some people around the organization. But if you don't have a way of working and, and organizing that and creating a, a pool in the organization where they want to, to find these solutions, want to, to make use of this expert talent, you're never going to succeed. So you have a lot of these uh, POC factories uh, coming up. There's, oh, we're we're moving, we are up. moving into either one or two or three major topics. So we know, so may, it's, are, it's are, amazing are, how often we come to the same kind of topics. You know, yeah, yeah. Kind but, of but it's like, so can, can, have we done the introduction so we can sort of uh, go into a theme or are we, or do we have more uh, around Combient to I, finish I think, it off? Because now, we, now we got into, woo, yeah. I want to talk more. But perhaps, you know, one of your specialities, as far as I understand it, is a bit about, you know, how do we work with these kind of multinational, international companies? So now we took a topic. But it's still, you know, part of Combient. Yeah, right? of course. Uh, so perhaps that and then we can move into... No, because I think, okay, I think we're moving into from Combient, working with multinationals, but then I think a theme that I know you, you want is close to heart is the reflections of what it takes to drive data and AI readiness in a large multinational. So, and, and then I think we are, this is type of certification training I talked about in Ericsson. Well, that's, that's part of the game, right? So maybe we should, I think we should slide into this topic. But which one do you mean? Which one? Um, do you mean? The multinational topic. Ah, yeah, okay. But uh, but of course, maybe f- coming into that from I mean, like th- that's what you experience from in in um, Combien. So let's take yeah. it. Th- so the segue, the first question as a segue into this. So yeah. you are working with quite large uh, enterprises, and uh, you know from from the Combien perspective, what, what is the first? You know, what's the relearnings or reflections uh, that? You, and, and we can start it from the yeah. Combien way, and then we can move into the whole, what the success and all that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. No, no. So, so the companies that we have in the network are really fascinating. They're, they're experts in, in 
in delivering their products. Uh, and I mean, they've been working with incremental improvements for, for ages and are really good at fine tuning the product. And obviously also innovating and looking at how can we, how, how can we find the next generation of, of projects and products out there to the customers. But now in the digital era, things are changing, obviously, and, and you can add a lot of software layers on top and you can add like intelligent data driven services uh, in the AI family. Uh, so, so that, that are, that is, that's creating new challenges for them. So the old ways of working are not enough to be able to solve those, those challenges, to address those challenges properly. Mm. So they're facing, facing these challenges. And a lot of the companies are engineering driven. So they are, are really set in their minds of how to drive projects. So, uh, when we approach, when we work with them, we usually start with the, with the senior management and executive management level. And they come to us and, and, and ask us, how, how can you help us to move this forward? It's going too slowly. How can we boost this and speed this up? And, and then, it, then it's really a matter of finding, finding the bottlenecks, finding the thresholds, uh, what, is, what is holding this organization back, and also working with, with early adopters that are willing to, uh, to, willing to take a step, uh, to step forward. And in some organizations, that might be in the sales department. And in others, it might be in the R&D department, uh, but they are, are really different and they're really differently structured as well. Uh, with, uh, with something that's quite interesting to, to us is how, how centralized versus decentralized they are as well. Mm-hmm. How much autonomy do you have uh, on, on the local level or regional level, divisional level versus the, the group uh, headquarters and so on? So is, is, is the group level, uh, are they developing services that are available to use uh, so are you going with with amazon the amazon stack and, and aws or is, or is it uh, azure uh, and and then you you're like you can you can use that or do you have to use that uh, in a divisional level but if we try to, to understand the you know, differences between let's say national or smaller type of smes versus these kind of international companies or let's take ericsson as, a, as an example um and some people um, may say that you know Ericsson is just a collection of a, lo- a large number of small companies, and they w- work more or less separately. And it's probably not true, but but you know that's one way that potentially you can organize these kind of large companies. How how would you how would you distinct or ad- dis- explain the differences between these kind of large companies? Are they really like separate small companies, or can they really collaborate and? reuse knowledge and, and mm. platforms and whatnot between each other. Yeah, I guess, I mean, the the real value from being a large company uh, comes from where you can get economies of scale. Mm. When, when you can develop something jointly and then that can be shared across a group. So you don't, you don't have to invent the wheel right. in every small, medium-sized uh, portion of the, the big company. Mm. So, I mean, they, they have to be able to, to find that kind of value somehow. But it, but it is a challenge, and and uh, I mean many have grown through acquisitions, mm-hmm. so they they're, they're buying companies here in Germany and Sweden, in the U.S. and in, in, in South America, uh, and and a lot of that that they have they have built data structures, built databases, uh, and built services on top of that, and just throwing that out and 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 exchanging it for something new, because of a corporate policy can be hard. Mm-hmm. They're, they're supporting their customers. They don't want to have like downtime in, in their customer services. Mm-hmm. So it's, it can be really hard to, to get that kind of value from data if you have a lot of like these 
smaller, medium-sized companies is under an umbrella of a large corporation. Mm-hmm. So you have to be able to, to take, to, 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 to do that journey and move towards some more centralized services that can, can really be shared across the group to get the, the economies of scale, get the large, uh, large volume of data and be able to, to develop services and so on. But, but how would you summarize, or in your mind, what would you say going and working with data and AI in the really multinational global uh, settings, where do you think th- th- there are some additional challenges that makes this a way harder or more complex? What are they? And, it, and can we flip it? Are there actually opportunities to do stuff that if you are too small, it's really hard to do? So what's the pros and cons? What are the distinguishing positive and challenges for them uh, when you look at the, 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 the big corporations to, to a, you know, a large but medium size? Yeah. How do you see that? Um, I, I think that in, in a medium-sized or smaller company, it can be easier to just uh, decide on, on, on a solution and, and go with that. And, decision and speed. Decision speed, yeah. yeah. But whereas if you have like many different regions, many different divisions with a lot of power because mm-hmm. they're serving really important customers mm-hmm. and they don't want to shift out their technology stack just to, be, to, to, mm-hmm. to consolidate that to something else. Uh, so, so that can make things quite hard because you have a lot of... Uh, you, you don't want to f- fix something that ain't broke. I mean, if it's working, it's delivering value and revenue and, and, and profits, yeah. keep going with it. So stakeholder management, decision management, decision speed becomes much more complex. It is much more complex, definitely. But but then on the flip side, the opportunities are huge. It's, there's, if you get there, it right, if you, get you can it right, scale it. Yeah, and just, like, just going from from like no standardized data to some standardized data can, can just reap huge benefits. Yeah, so the basic, if you get it right, the percentage is actually <laughs> massive. In the yeah, and I think as well, you don't have to get everything right. No. Just, just getting things, some things right can, can really improve your opportunities and, and your, your benefits from this. And what is your experience in, in, of the 31 companies in the largest? The, the decentralized versus, you know, you know, how decentralized are the companies in Sweden or, or how central steered are they? Because I think this whole, what is complex is also has something to do with the central versus decentralized where, where the power is really lying. Yeah. And I, I have worked in a comp, you know, in several companies which I find quite decentralized, yeah. successfully decentralized, Vattenfall and Scania. Mm. So, but how do you see the average in, 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 in the 31? Yeah, yeah, I would, I would say it ranges, like for, for many, it ranges from decentralized to very decentralized. From sen- decentralized to very decentralized. Yeah, so, so definitely uh, many organizations are, are decentralized. So the decision powers are out, yeah. there, in, uh, out there in the organization. Uh, but, but more and more are realizing that to really be able to get the value from digital yeah. opportunities, we have to centralize something and, and agree on some standards. And by doing that, we can get values. But it's going to take some time. And should we really invest in all this, this boring infrastructure stuff? Um, so, so it's it's really important to show to show the value that you can get uh, in an early stage. But but, but I think th- this is super important to understand when we are looking at what the best of the best are saying, coming from America or from other cultures. I my hypothesis is that Swedish management and decision and consensus style, all the way from government, has meant that we have, on average, more decentralized structures than the rest of the world. Do you think that's fair? Alex, so the Nordic management, the Nordic com- country companies, 
or is 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 this the general norm? Because I I truly f- I, I don't recognize myself in some advice from large management consultants because that's not the the way it's done. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, but I think I think definitely we are we're, we're standing out in that sense. Uh, Sweden and, and Nordic style in that sense it is more decentralized than other places, definitely, and that has served us really well. It has mm, allowed it has a lot us. of development and innovation uh, on on a local level uh, within my area of expertise. I can do things, and and that is serving the customers super well. So I mean, it's it's served us very well over over the over the decades. Yeah, very interesting topic. And if we just try to, um, in some way, summarize it a bit, um, if someone is listening now and and they think, you know, I, I want some awesome advice from yeah, you there are some people who are saying Robert Luciani says hello. <laughs> hey Robert, <laughs> nice to hear. Love to hear man. And if they want to have, you know, given your experience with working with these type of large corporations, um, can you give some short advices, tips and tricks, something that you really think, you know. Don't do this, but try to do this. What would that be if you just try to summarize it? Um, I think, I mean, in these days, it's quite easy to get buy-in from from senior management. So, so make sure to get that. Make sure mm-hmm. the senior management is on board and is supporting and and uh, encouraging the organization to try this out. Um, so, for example, to to do some more AI initiative or something. Do AI and da- more data-driven initiatives definitely, yes. uh, and then run. Do run small projects and test things out, and to to see if w- what works. Mm. Expect to fail. Do not shut things down um, too quickly. Like Al- allow to things fail. to experience. Their projects will fail. Yes, and, and that's that's the nature also of being more data driven. Mm-hmm. That you don't really know what what you're going to get out uh, before trying. But, but putting Concept. putting these tools in in the expert's hand, uh, also like democratizing AI uh, uh, and, and working with front runners that want to try this out and want to to experiment. So that might not be the lagging parts of organizations, more the leading ones, but work with them uh, and see what can be done uh, and uh, evaluate and, and position your priorities. And and then you can move on to also making more fundamental investments because you will probably need to do more infrastructure investments on your your, your data side to be able to get the bigger benefits, the big value and pay, payoffs. So but but that, that, that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. But let's uh, let's be real, right? Because to do all that, don't we fundamentally then need to look very carefully at our steering, our governance, our fundamental funding and investment approaches? So if we if we are coming from a Tayloristic, you know, efficiency culture, we don't fail. We know exactly what business case we are doing, and we we need to nail every one. And here we need to have an, a much more lean startup approach and steering around this. And we need to have a different way of having metrics or something we never tried. So in the large enterprise, isn't it a lot around the governance and the steering and, and uh, around innovation that actually goes completely against all the tips and tricks you gave that basically means that you're working against the whole, you know, cultural, the traditional steering of that company? Yeah, sure. But but, but all I would say that Basically, all these companies are, have realized that now and are working mm. towards that. So they're trying to carve out space to really do experimentations and so mm. on. And and then they are they are still struggling in many ways. They're they're doing pilots but not managing to scale it up and so on because you have to mm. have to to run and sync in different parts of organizations. And the pilot graveyard we talked about as an example. Yeah. Awesome. Let's move into. Um, Perhaps it's what some people think is boring, but I think is super exciting and very important in nothing, nothing less, um, which is regulation. And um, we had this um, 
new proposal coming up from EU recently, and you've been instrumental, I think, in different ways there, uh, also in guiding how the government should work in that, and probably have much more insights than, than most people have, and certainly more than me. And I have a lot of subjective opinions, you know, how it's formulated. So it would be super fun to just discuss this a bit more. Um, should we start by giving some kind of like very, very brief introduction to what that proposal is? Do you feel comfortable in trying to summarize in a bit about, you know, what the proposal is about? Um, yeah, I can bring up some some points, definitely. Um, so there has been demand to, to regulate AI mm -hmm. or... Uh, The, the bad AI uh, in the European Union for a couple of years. And mm -hmm. there's been some really powerful leaders asking for that. So famously, Angela Merkel asked for a GDPR for AI. We need to curb bad, evil AI and make sure that we can protect the values of, of the European Union. So, so uh, those were like the uh, entry points into that. And then there's the, the European bureaucracy have been churning along. And now we have a proposal from the European Commission on the table. Yes. Uh, and what is it? Is it legislation? It's not just guidelines. It's, it's a legislation. Proper legislation. Proper, yeah, changing rules and, and laws, basically. Yeah. Uh, uh, so that's that's the, the core of it. Uh, and it's a, so we have a, it's a proposal, 109 pages plus annexes. Plus with, annexes. Plus annexes with definitions. So how do they define AI? Uh, which is an interesting aspect just in itself. Yeah, what do you think? I mean, the previous definition from the, the white paper and whatnot was um, questionable, if I use diplomatic terms. But I think it's better this time. Or what do you think regarding the definition of AI? Well, it, it's better, but like we're really veering away from AI. Yeah. I mean, statistical approaches are included now. So anything yeah. that's statistical is is also called AI in this yeah. relation. Yeah. So, so it's really rule based. So, yeah, yeah rule based exactly. So, so it's any form of like algorithmic system or. So, like, to me, it al almost seemed to me, if I if I'm a little bit layman here, any forward looking type systems, statistical, rule based, AI, machine learning. So when you're trying to predict. The future recommend the future, yeah. regardless of methodology, almost seems to apply. Yeah, but I think, the, the, I think the previous one was worse. To be frank, uh, this is certainly not perfect. But before it, I think anything that used data in some way, and code, and <laughs> software was AI, and that, that's horrible. But I think uh, this but, is a little bit better. But we are least. we are jumping straight into it. So, so yeah. used to frame the context. So it's a legislation. Yeah. And uh, are there any major topics and points we can highlight on what this the legislation is all about, how it's structured, before we go into what we think about it? Because this is going to be fun to, <laughs> to talk about. Yeah, but so, so basically, they're, they're, they're really after like trying to curb bad AI. So, yeah. so AI systems are, are defined in four categories, ranging from, from totally prohibited, which is not allowed, should not be allowed on the European yeah. market. Give an example. Uh, remote real-time biometric identification is, is like the big thing. Yeah. Yeah. And like uh, uh, influencing people's decision making Mani process manipulating by manipulating like social sub scoring subconsciously. Yeah. And then we talked about social scoring as a no-no in Swedish or European. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But just to make it even more concrete, I mean, remote biometric identification is basically facial recognition yeah. in real time. In real time, yeah. right? So if it's But not if in real time. If it's not in real time, then it's okay. Can be okay, yeah, definitely. That's kind yeah. of strange, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. No, we, we can. I, I, I. You need to dig into this. I mean, like 101 pages. 
So I'm a little bit humble. So I think we have like a, around an hour, but we will not uh, cover the entire hour on this. So can we go a little bit more lecture type on this topic, actually? So first, the definition of AI, uh, the definition of the five categories that you said, and naming some examples, and then maybe opening a debate, uh, debate about what is left and what not without actually jumping to, to steps. Can All we right. do that? Yeah. A little bit like pedagogical. Okay. Let's, okay. So let's let's try it. I think we we, we started with, so they, they have come up with a definition. Let's start yeah. there, which yeah. is fairly broad, and it has been mentioned in in, in all the discussions that is difficult to really put nail it down. Yeah. But they, they 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 opted to go for more broad than to let's say narrow only machine learning or only deep learning. Yeah. So it, it's yeah. more broad. That yeah. can be as a summary, right? Yeah, exactly. So it really, really applies across the board in that sense. And then, and then so, so for, for starting for with the with the prohibited stuff, that's that's a relatively small category. But then you have the big chunk, which is really, really the big challenge, which is high risk AI. Yeah. And and then then there's a lot of definitions around like how do should you look at high risk AI? What could that be? And so on. That can be for like AI for recruitment purposes, uh, AI for scoring in in schools, educational systems, AI for migrational decisions. But, but it can also be uh, related to AI in safety functions or components and systems that relate to, to safety, which could mean like anything in a cyber physical system, so anything interacting with people directly or indirectly could, could potentially be uh, some kind of safety feature. So, and, and that's, I think, in, in, it's in the high risk category where you have the huge gray area, which is where it's going to be super difficult to, to understand. Will my AI be high risk? Might yeah. it be high? Do I have to get it certified by a third party yeah. body? Uh, and there might pop up new definitions uh, over time. Uh, so that's a high risk category. Then you have the low risk or or, or and, and the, the really low risk. Uh, yeah. So they had so the the, the high risk has uh, a, a light orange and a dark orange. So it's like so, and these are this is the gray area. So two categories, which is the gray area, and then it's yeah. li- more or less the rest, which is limited risk. Yeah. Exactly. So, and, and for instance, and then we go into the the areas there or the 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 uh, the regulation. So the regulation is really about the high risk uh, yeah, parts. And, and I think to take a step back now, if we want to be pedagogical, what this means is that the which is the proposal in the legislation has gone into this. We're looking at AI from a main uh, definition of risk based. Yes. So you, you can go into legislation in many different ways. Mm-hmm. And there, there was a lot of discussion moving into this, how to look at this. Uh, and, and the experts, uh, I think, swayed the, how should I put it, the, bureauc- the administrators yeah. to go risk-based. Mm. Uh, so if we start, before we go into, you know, what they have, you know, the nuances is really tricky. But I want to, do we like, do we think risk-based approach? Is that a fundamentally good approach? I think, I mean, uh, th- that's also related to the question of of flexibility versus predictability of a regulation. Mm. Like, uh, do you want to have have a system that you can just read the read the book and then you know how what the rules are? And why is that good? That can be good because then you can make investment decisions, for instance, and you can easier to plan for company. Easier to plan for a company. You know that okay, this will this will be the rules for the next 
five, 10, 15 years. And I can, I can make my decisions ma- ba- ma- based on that. However, the risk is that technology will outrun regulation. So Very there sensitive. will be new things happening ar- ar- around over, over time. So maybe my, my uh, regulation will be outdated when it hits the streets and so on. Okay. So having more flexible approach, which is the approach they've, they've gone for now, uh, to, to have this high risk uh, category, which is a risk-based approach, uh, where definitions and use cases will be added yeah. over time. So we don't know now what will be part of this category. That's the annex. That's the annex, and that will be also over the life cycle, where there's a European Artificial Intelligence Board that's going to be formed, and they will provide new guidance to, to uh, supervisory bodies across the European Union. And then we might get the, the, the interesting things where, where us, uh, 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 AI protection board in France might prohibit something, and that a board in Sweden might not. Okay, so broad definition risk-based forming categories. This is sort of outlining the fundamental law. Are there any other core components of the law beyond what I summarize now? There's, uh, I mean, there's, uh, uh, there's the penalties if you break uh, yes. the regulation, for instance. So if you, if you put out uh, this type of AI that is prohibited, you can get a, a fine. And also if you're breaking uh, against the certification and uh, pre-certification of your high-risk AI that might be allowed on the market, but you're not following the rules, you can get fines up to 30 million euros or, or 6%, 6% of your global annual turnover, whichever is higher. So so the GDPR fines famously are up to 20 million euros or, four. Uh, or 4%. So this is 6% and 30. Uh, this might be uh, a negotiation tactic though and might end up at 4% in the end. But it's it's massive amounts of money, definitely. Yeah. That you could risk. But, and then there, there's, there's a couple of small parts to this, even if there are just one or two or three lines that wasn't part of GDPR. For instance, we're talking about explicitly within the legislation, which is quite unusual that you're defining that we need uh, regulatory sandboxes. I'd like to even put that into uh, regulation. I think that is at least quite yeah. good. Yeah, no, definitely. So so um, policymakers have been talking about regulatory sandboxes for, for the last 10, 15 years, for instance, to allow self-driving cars on the streets uh, in certain places to be able to develop this kind of self-driving systems, even though uh, general regulation does not allow for computer-driven cars, for instance. Mm -hmm. You have to be a a physical person to drive a car. So like in specific cities in in the UK, you can try this out. There's a regulatory sandbox, they call it. Or you can try medical services in a regulatory sandbox in in Estonia, where where it's allowed to do yeah. Things that are not really actually legal, but there they can can bend the rules a bit. And here they want to include that kind of thing as well on more of a European. But how and what and when? Very unclear and not specified. Yeah, very unclear, and will probably really depend on the country as well. Any any else to to set the context before we start having fun with it? Before we start to get angry. No, rip it up. <laughs> no, because I think let's rip it up, but let's do it in a, as objective way we can. What do you can. mean objective? This is after work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I'm kidding. No, no. Okay, good. I, mean, no. I think that's a good summary. And, and for one, you know, we have the definition of AI. It has questionable definitions. I think the improvement is that it actually says it's a list of techniques and then try to list the techniques. 
It's yeah. based on uh, different machine learning techniques, saying, you know, supervised and unsupervised reinforcement learning, but also rule-based and statistical approaches, which basically makes, makes it include everything. a lot of things. No, not everything, but a lot. Uh, what is it, not it, included? Come I on. Mean, it, it, and I, mean, it, I think a lot of things can be excluded. Oh, but it's mean, if you have a mobile app, you know, it, it doesn't have much of data statistics. Sure. So I think that there is improvement, and I think we have to be positive whenever we can yeah. <laughs> when it comes to this kind of proposals. So in that sense, it's an improvement, but certainly it has even more room for improvement, I think. Yeah. And then the question of the risk-based approaches and trying to have different regulation based on the risk, right? Yeah. That's the core point. Yeah. My first core issue, at least with this, is that they try to still regulate techniques instead of applications. But they, 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 it's funny. They say they want to regulate application and use cases. I know, but they but don't. even if they, they say it, but then when you read it, ah, it's technique. So they say specifically, if we take one example here, uh, let's take uh, yeah, the, the, the manipulation of opinions, I think, was one mm. of the unacceptable parts of it. And I think, please correct me, Johan, if I'm wrong, but uh, this, for example, is Facebook trying to manipulate pe- pe- people's feelings in the news feed and things like that. Yeah. And they've done some bad experiments with that in the past. So I, I can partly agree with that. But then they say it's um, that the one thing that is forbidden is to use AI. It's not forbidden to, to, to actually do manipulate people's exactly. feelings. Yeah. So it's okay to use non-AI approaches to manipulate people's opinions. And we manipulate people's opinions all the time with every kind of advertisement you see wherever. And what is nudging, what is hyper-nudging, and what is manipulation, right? Yeah. Do, you, do you, th- and, and just take one additional example. I think they, they mention chatbots a number of times, and I think they even put that into the minimal risk category. Yeah, but they're confusing. Which is, which is um, an interesting example because, you know, chatbots can be thought to be, I would be more happy if they said recommender system or something, but they say chatbots. And chatbots um, can, of course, be used in very safe applications, but it can be certainly very, very dangerous to use them. For example, when recommending things when speaking to children or if you have suicidal people and they speak to a chatbot and they do the wrong thing, it has catastrophic effects. So to simply, once again, define the risk based on the technique, chatbots, yeah. mm. instead of the application is horrific. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, but I think, I think they would say that they will be able to cover that when they list uh, use cases that are high risk, where there's a, a connection to people's health and well-being that will probably fall in the high risk category. And they will have a long and growing list of high risk applications, use cases. But why do they then regulate the technique and not the application. I mean, isn't it the actual manipulation of children or yeah. the, that is, you know, independent of what technique you use to do that, it's still bad. And why did they try to regulate the technique instead of the application? Because they want, they, they want, they're trying to regulate AI. Yes. So, and then yes. AI is like a family of technologies and, yeah. and techniques. Well, do you think it's a good or bad thing? I mean, for me, it's very strange. I think it's strange as well. And I think like, I mean, if, if I got this assignment on my table, like do, do, an, uh, do a, a regulatory package for, for AI uh, and, and you want to curb the bad type of AI, mm. um, 
and it should be risk-based after, yes. after a lot of input. I mean, this mm-hmm. would be something I w- that, that I could come up with as well. And I think uh, the a challenge uh, here will be that it looks all right on paper, mm-hmm. but I, I, I think the biggest challenge will be the application of this regulation yes. in practice. How, where do you draw the line? Uh, how do you put this in practice? Uh, w- where is the definitions going? Yeah. Uh, and having like oversight agencies that will go right. and take a look into this chatbot yeah. and see, hey, is this high so, risk or so, low risk? So, so in one way, intentional again, and um, I, I, I want to actually give, um, I want to give a tip. If people who are listening want a crash course or actually want to hear from the horse's mouth, who, you know, a, a, a slide presentation, go to YouTube and check out a European approach to a regulation of artificial intelligence. This is uh, the CEPS, C-E-P-S think tank uh, presentation. And what they did very nicely, they, they used uh, uh, Lucilia, Lucifa Theoli. Hmm. She's basically, the, it, when you look behind the, the power, she's the real orchestrator of the real, she's the one that's been working day and night for the last two years on this. Yeah. And basically, she does a presentation in this YouTube, and, and uh, this was released uh, a couple of days ago, and literally the first official, one of the first presentations she's done as a PowerPoint slide on this. So if you don't want to read the 101 pages, have a look at what she's saying and how she her storytelling. And she's clearly stating that this is risk-based and this is use case driven. So fundamentally intention is sound, yeah? What yeah, we say. No question. But then, you know, when you look into the 101 pages, uh, you know. I think it's 109 actually. 109, sorry, 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 yeah. So then then the tricky comes things. But, but yeah. and, and then the real argument becomes, you know what? It's gonna be an endless discussion. Am I in or out? Which, which, yeah. Which level am I on and exactly. what do I need to but do now? Speaking back to what you said, Johan, and I think, you know, you said a good thing, which is, you know, they try to find a good formulation for the proposal and the regulation. And that's super hard, of course. Yeah. But it's another thing about how the implementation will actually be executed in yeah. some yeah, way. That's yeah. the problem. And then um, perhaps that's the savior in some way. <laughs> At least hoping that <laughs> if, if I'm trying to be optimistic here. Um, and... The, the question is what kind of lead way, I mean, you as a policymaker, you've been, you know, thinking about these kind of things. And of course, they want to also promote innovation and make sure that Europe and, and European mm. countries, you know, can really take advantage of data and AI in a good way. Yeah. But to me, you know, even though they say that literally in the proposal, that, you know, one part is really to boost ex- excellence mm. in, in this. I see very few action points in trying to do that. I think they have the, the private, you know, the public-private partnership kind of things and things like that. But when it comes to the regulation aspects, it, it doesn't say much. What's your view? No, on this? I, I mean, they they hope obviously that that they can create the Brussels effect, that like similar to GDPR, create a global yeah. standard, be a front runner in, in trustworthy AI. So yeah. so then then all the people around the world will come to EU because here you can really shape and do to good AI, not yes. just whatever AI. Yes. Uh, so that's that's obviously the intention. But I think uh, no matter how you look at this, this will delay AI development in Europe and it, because it will yes. create more uncertainty for AI developers in Europe. So so it, like even if the dust settles and, and we get like a, a nice long list listing 500 use cases with detailed mm. descriptions about different ways of using AI, if it's high risk or not high risk, that's going to take like many years. Yeah, but this is super scary, right? Because 
in the one hand side, we state that we want to have AI innovation. It's good for actually our, we need it in order to face our yeah, exactly. problems. Yeah. We really need AI to yeah. fa face a lot of problems, but we need to do good. But if you state that, I think we need to put our, you know, our money where our mouth is. So if we now put up a regulation for this, we need to have a huge package in terms of the operational execution, support, guiding, you know, SME package for get AI ready. Yeah. Huge. It needs to be absolutely huge in order to educate uh, at the same time. Because I don't know, let, let, let's, let's talk about the pink elephant. And, and short, uh, no, not so short. I'm sorry. <laughs> We've talked about it so many times. Do we have the AI divide and we have com contrasted it, uh, the, the tech giants? And why, you know, how did GDPR, it has the intention to safeguard Europe and European citizens, even European interest. The problem that no one understood was that the, the tech giants have the trifecta of the, the full use case library internally of AI. Yeah. They have the tech stack uh, that knows that they can, they can turn knobs and be compliant. And they have the legal department that are bigger than the normal company, right? Yeah. So they have the trifecta that means that when you put GDPR, they can deal with it in a way that very few can. The same will happen here now that we want these to sort of level the playing field. But for the first four or five years, if you don't put real measures as a support package for the normal companies, mm. by default, by this trifecta of lawyers, tech stack yeah. and use cases, they, they, they will have a first mover advantage from hell. And that's how it is. You can't get away from it, in my opinion. Yeah, and, and to be fair, like the companies I work with, they're, they're the big global multinationals, they will also be capable to deal with this because they're, they're, they're used to working with compliance and having legal departments to, to, to step mm. in. They can also take risk and they, they can take calculated risks. They don't have the use cases, but they have the two out, they have two out of three. Yeah, and then they're, they're working on the use cases as well. So they, they can work and say that, okay, maybe we have to kill a project later on because it's not compliant, but then, then we can, can afford to do that mm -hmm. because we want to stay competitive in the future. But for the smaller companies, that's going to be hard, obviously. Yeah, they so, need the support. Yeah, so, so I guess the European Commission will argue and say that the compliance cost will actually not be that hard, high. So, so they sh hopefully this will not kill innovation. However, like if you would be uncompliant and, and fail, that could, could lead to huge fines. So, so we'll, we'll see about that. But then also, to, to be, it's important to, to state that this is just a proposal. It's a proposal from one of the three main pillars of the European Union. So this is from the European Commission. Uh, and then we have the European Council, Council of Ministers and Prime Ministers. Uh, and then we have the European Parliament. So, so the process now is, is expected to take two to three years of debate of this proposal. There will be amendments and adjustments and changes and so on. There will be lobbyists trying to lobby and make changes in, in this. Human rights activists and like different perspectives will, will be fused so into this. So it's a two-year process to go from first draft to pass the law. If it, if it even will be passed, we don't we don't we know, don't know. Uh, we don't know. But I would say that I th I think that's a uh, really high likelihood that this will be passed in in this kind of form because uh, uh, it's, it, it's it's there's a there's a pop, uh, popular request for this kind of regulation I think among people that maybe don't know so much about AI and it, it's pretty easy to sell as well. Do you want to curb bad AI? Make sure that AI is working for the good of people. 
Yes? No? Yeah. You don't? You don't want to you have killer robots on the street? Is that yeah. what you want? No? I, I think that's a good point, actually, Ivan. And, and it may sound like we're against any kind of regulation, and that's certainly not the case. And we need regulation, and re- good regulation is really, really good. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, obviously, it's very easy to identify bad use cases of AI for autonomous weapons or, or whatnot. So, uh, and social scoring and th- all these kind of things. Um, but the the danger then, of course, is that it will hamper innovation, yeah. and that is something scary. And I think you actually said something really good, which is the legal uncertainty problem. Yeah, if they simply say this is um, a problem uh, that or that this is the type of regulation we want to have, but they're not really clear what they mean, and companies then will take you know be rather safe than sorry and say, yeah, yeah. I don't understand. I don't want the risk to lose like six percent of my turnover. Yeah. And we've seen that in Sweden a number of cases. Right? So I think that's the major problem. That it's not like you can argue that to to follow this is not so hard. So we, if you know if you know what you're doing, if you have a process for it, it won't cost so much money. Yeah. The lost opportunity will be better safe than sorry argument that will prevail. Yeah. It will prevail in a lot of investment decisions now. Yeah. Before this process becomes stable. That you basically, yeah. I mean, like in, in in essence, to make this work, you need to have a trustworthy ethical AI by design. Yeah. So you you need to think about your use case life cycle yeah. and understand how to bring this consideration which is, in, which is good, which, which is really good. Yeah. But it will take us a couple of years to figure that out. You wonder, do you have any thought about you know how, how can we circumvent the legal uncertainty problem? <laughs> Small question. Small question. <laughs> Small question. Um, yeah, I mean, it, it is it is hard I mean, because all, all this type of flexible regulation that is designed to be able to live with society and as technology develops and so on, it will con- it will by default contain a lot of uncertainty. So, mm. so, so the law always has a degree of uncertainty, and this will have quite a, quite a substantial degree of uncertainty. Mm. So, I mean, the the opposite would be to be much more clear and and to point out what is what is uh, prohibited and what is not and what would be fine and where you have to have so-called ex-ante assessments and really do like get pre-clearance before you can, can launch a, a service on the market, mm-hmm. an AI-powered service. I mean, that, that, would, that would reduce uncertainty. I, I have a question. So who is going to approve that? So there will be, so there's, there's going to be a European-wide uh, thing, a, a board of, uh, of experts and representatives from, from all the member states. Yes. But then it will be up to each member state to set up an oversight body. Yes. Okay. So, f- so for instance, for GDPR, we have Dotins Bakunan. Yes. Uh, which has now been renamed into Integritetsmyndigheten. Yeah. Right. Right. So, so either you give this new AI oversight assignment to uh, to Dotins Bakunan, uh, or uh, and, and hopefully then you will have to give them a lot of money because mm-hmm. they need to hire a lot of experts to be able to to understand AI and go into uh, source code, look into algorithms, look into training data sets. Mm-hmm. Uh, and there will also be third party uh, bodies that can be uh, licensed to also do this for them. So you can mm-hmm. like, buy like a CE. Startup idea. So, startup idea. So, so we're opening an AI audit company. Yeah, yeah, so that is what we are so doing today. Airplane yeah? Alliance just added a new chapter <laughs> to the community. <laughs> yeah, and, and, and there's also already people talking about we need AI to to audit exactly. AI. Exactly. Yeah. Yes. That's what's my comment. That's as well. good. 
But oh, this is I a huge business, actually. We, yeah. It's a huge I mean, business. We, we should look this from a positive view, yeah, yeah. positive point. Of view. We can make money from it. Should, EU, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Tarn has already figured it out. They, they will be trustworthy AI uh, guide as a wizard, wizard, as a as a ser- the wizard. No, but uh, seriously, I think you know if we take um, data inspection as, as we had before in our integrations, uh, integritetsmyndigheten, and. And they basically, you know, had to handle GDPR. And it was problematic. It was a lot of uncertainty and it caused other people to be safe and sorry. But I think the finance department in Sweden, uh, I think, did something good. And, and you probably know more about this than I did. But, but they also had, you know, a lot of regulation when it comes to banks and whatnot. But they also provided a set of guidance yeah. saying, you know, if you do it in this way, here is a good use case or a set of good use cases. You know, so if you do it this way, you will be safe. Wouldn't that be a good way for uh, integrity or integrity to actually not only you know enforce and be an oversight committee, but actually be a service that helps Swedish companies? Yeah, and, and actually, there's there's been a lot of push for from this and the previous government to try and and uh, make sure that these uh, auditing and compliance agencies are not just checking that people are, or companies are complying, but also supporting more and, and advising more right. and, and showing that this is this is how you do it. This is how you can yes. be compliant and, and, and not just striking down on the ones that are failing. So right. this is what I meant with this package. So mm. so our, our, the big big difference what we like with finance inspection is that they, they have a consultative guiding approach rather than we don't give you any help. You say yes yeah, or no. These days they do. They didn't used to have that. No, but, but yeah. so maybe not back in the day, but the last couple of years, there's a clear distinction where finance inspection yeah. is go- going, yeah. which I f- find really healthy as a role but model. It's in, already in defined, topics. but it's already defined area as well for so many years, the finance, right? And this is completely new area. Yeah. By the way, it's yeah. called Swedish Authority of Privacy Protection. Oh, in yeah, good. <laughs> but, but so now we know for the next time, right? But, but, but here, <laughs> Thank you. I, I want to test another one, Johan. Are you sure everything will end up on the Integritetsmyndigheten? Because the way I understood it also is because we have now use cases. So you have critical application. So then all of a sudden we have, I want to use AI when I balance the energy grid. So all of a sudden you have mission critical uh, use cases. Yeah. So I've also heard the discussion that this is not cut clear that it's one authority no, no. in Sweden. No. So you have like uh, data protection, privacy, uh, what is human rights? Yes, mm. belongs here. But then you have high risk uh, uh, um, AI yeah. with a use case that is more about its use case application. Uh, energy, health sector, it will go th- into the authorities that they need to add their scope. Have you understood that? Is, am yeah, I wrong? Um, or? No, no. So as, as I understand it, it, it is up to each member state of the European Union to, to, figure, to, this to figure this out, to have, yeah. to have a proper um, um, so procedures for so this. So theoretically, it can be spread out yeah. or it can be centralized. We yeah, it can know. be like, can be financing. But ultimately, it's a national uh, matter. Exactly, exactly. And, and that, that, I mean, having that is, is good because then we can make sure it makes sense in, in Sweden. Yeah. Uh, but then obviously it opens up for what we've seen in the GDPR side as well, uh-huh. where we have different interpretations in different countries. Uh, hallelujah. So, um, which makes it diff- <laughs> diff- difficult to operate on oh, a European level. Right. Well, let's uh, try to close up this discussion a bit. And, and in cool. short, I would like to hear your Yuan's, um Thoughts about you know the proposal in general. Are you positive or negative <laughs> about you know the implications from the proposal if it were passed in in a similar form as it is today? Um, 
Well, yes and no would be my answer. I mean, this will definitely uh, curb bad AI and, and foster more trustworthy AI, um, but it will do that uh, at the cost of slowing down uh, development of services that can help us address societal challenges. Yeah. Uh, and, and that will persist for a number of years, I think, that slowdown. Um, so the, on, the, on the good side, we're not going to have uh, bad AI running amok in, in the recruitment processes and, and scoring in schools. But could it, with the definition that it's only real-time face recognition that is potentially regulated, but other types is okay, do you see it potentially could not curb bad AI? Mm. Yeah, obviously, and, and, and we'll see what what happens during this uh, this these negotiation periods. Yeah, um, yeah, like sure. in the coming two three years, where there's going to be a m- m- many proposals uh, coming up on how how to improve this and how to change this. So, and yeah. th- there's there's already potential loopholes, and there might be even more loopholes down the road. Um, but that's difficult to to say. Right but in now. general, are you more positive and negative about the proposal? You were to say. I mean, as a policy craftsman that have worked with with the crafting policy previously, I think this is an impressive piece of, of yeah. work. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I think, like, well done. Uh, given the 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 complexity, given the, the complexity, given the challenge. Like, if if Ursula von der Leyen came to me and say, "Do this," uh, I mean, uh, this is uh, as like. If you want to do something, this is as far as you can get. But do I think you know it has all, you know, so many. Do you yeah. know the who who is Lucila? Uh, she, she's an, she's a senior administrator in the in, in the um, um, DG Connect the the uh, what's it called the Département Général uh, for. In, in so she's one of the main players, actually, as as a craftsman. This. She's definitely one of the main players, and I was actually when I was in the Swedish government, uh, I was uh, I was in the working group that she headed uh, mm-hmm. to to develop these these air yeah. relations. So I've been working with her. But for but just w- because you were working on the earlier pieces, like the steps that was the stepping stone for where we are today. So yeah. so what was your story and line and input into this? So if you start the, your AI journey, it's quite interesting. Yeah, no, I, th- I think it started with a really. Uh, really negative view of AI, like, like mm. have, having this like gut feeling that oh my god, this is bad. Looking look at look at uh, Cambridge Analytica and like all okay. these, these bad things. We need to curb this. So there was really like the knee jerk reaction from from uh, like senior policymakers. And so and this was when you were a policymaker, but you hadn't really got on your AI path yet. Could, is that fair? Uh, well, in, in some sense, yeah. No, but I think I think the the proposal has matured a lot, so I think it's a lot better than it used to look like. So having this approach is definitely uh, good. Although I, I mean, it, it has it has so many challenges with these gray areas and these these problems. So I think I, I think there's a lot of problems with this this proposal as it is today. But how was it? You worked on a, the first was a white paper in eighteen, or how was yeah. it? What was the steps? Yeah, there was the white paper that came out uh, with our first proposal outlining the, what the European Commission was thinking. And then they gathered uh, hundreds, even thousands of proposals from, from the European Union. Anyone could basically submit uh, a suggestion on how to improve it. And, and I mean, the, the, it's, it's come a long way since then. This is much more sensible. But it's, it, it has so many challenges as well. Like just, just for instance, this, there's so many specific points you can pick up, like mm-hmm. uh, having unbiased data. Uh, what is? And, and data needs to be of sufficient quality. What is? Yeah. 
what is and like how how do we know that the data is is of sufficient quality? What is what is the bar for sufficient quality? What is biased data? All all data is biased because society is biased. I mean, AI per definition needs biased data; otherwise, it can't predict anything. You have to so. find the patterns exactly, yes. and then what? What's, so it's cool. But in general, you would say you know with a, assuming a good number of improvements to the proposal that we have a good Swedish perhaps oversight with also some guidance and uh, also still enabling innovation in a good way you think you're more positive than negative I mean for for Swedish competitiveness uh, I am more negative than positive I think this really? this this mm-hmm. will slow down development this will yeah. create more less less more talk less talk truth it will slow down it, it will slow down development Period. definitely yeah. Yeah. and it might shift as well investments outside of Europe as well so maybe yeah. it's a good True. thing from a, from a from a ethical point of view but if you just want money and innovation yes let's let's not kid anyone it will slow down yeah. Yeah. long term it might be good to mature the whole system but but in the next uh, five, six, yeah. seven, ten years. It could have it's a lot of negative. Yeah. 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 But you, Anders, you have been talking quite a lot in Peltarion about this. What is your view? Positive or negative? I'm a, I think actually um, I was trying to be objective here, and, but I certainly agree with you. You're very said. quiet, actually, for a person who has a lot of opinions on this. I know. So you need to lift up a bit. No, but we have so many other topics as well. Yeah. I, li- I like to move positive into or some negative, other. Anders. Just continue. Oh, no, but I certainly agree with exactly what you said. Mm. I, I think the negative implications of this is stronger than the positive ones, mm. and we need to make sure that we enable uh, data and AI-driven acceleration for companies in Sweden and and Europe. And if we don't provide solutions for the legal uncertainty, as you mentioned, it will be problematic. Yeah. But I think there are ways to to circumvent it, but I don't I don't see people talking about it sufficiently. Mm. But perhaps with what we're trying to say here, you know, just have uh, the agency for privacy and protection or something, but to actually do yeah. not only do the oversight but also provide guidance and services in in helping companies. Perhaps we can actually come out yeah. in a positive way. And and for me, this gonna be you know what. The legislation is one thing, intention is good, execution is everything. Yeah. So for me, if you have started to be, you know, objectively understand how much work has gone into this piece of work and how they are trying to weigh every word, it's an impossible task. It's more or less how can you write this? It, you know, if you can't even start in with defining AI, how can you legislate it? So it's all it's it's, it's a done deal that it can't be done properly from the beginning. So therefore. Maybe the, the, it's not about the policy itself. It's going to be all about what do we do for execution, yeah. and then this can be great or it can be it can truly suck. So for my for me, huh, you know what? I have challenges. I, I maybe I was more negative, but you know what? I'm you know typical problem with Europe. Intention is good, execution sucks. <laughs> you know, so that's where I put to this as well. That's what I learned from GDPR, and uh, I hope that uh, for my end, I think that I, my only hope is that they they don't suck enough with the, with the follow up, and uh, they have uh, no. thought about the change management in the, the in in uh, in the beginning of making this because I think follow up is going to be a problem even now. GDPR, it's been 2018. Oh. It's three years. Yeah. No, still people do not know what is going on. The only thing that we got is a lot of cookies. <laughs> I mean, uh, sure, I, I'm getting diabetes of all these yeah. cookie cookies. Lower. It's like I think there's more cookies that I have ever seen in my entire life. Uh, <laughs> and then suddenly I get like more e- emails in my inbox than I have 
have yeah. gotten but, before. But for me, this it, in the the second point is uh, we are starting bleeding talent already. Yes, and Brain this talent career. and this talent actually wants to work with the cutting edge technologies. Mm. Yeah. So how are we gonna do that if we are actually chasing people away? It's impossible. This is this is really really. I hope that they realize that I I agree and I think that it will be. So let's say well, you 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 drive a car and you drive on a red light. Are you uh, going to be fine because you had like a Volvo and you drove right or crossed the on red or because you cross on red? Exactly. Application so, versus technology. Exactly. So if you if they if they minimize this to application and not without trying to define it what is RPA artificial intelligence because even the the scientists do not know what this is. Yeah. So take, take then it will take, be take the tech discussion right? out. Focus on the use case. Use so case. I agree with you that this has a polishing, but I hope I really, really hope that they will understand that the follow up is everything. Otherwise, everybody will be in limbo, like we are right now with GDPR, yeah. Yeah. and nobody is actually utilizing any customer data, while Google and everybody else is actually utilizing it. Mm. And then we are talking about AI dividers every Thursday, every Thursday here. But but last qu- you know another angle. We are talking in 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 the climate change, climate crisis, the Paris Agreement. Can you actually make an AI regulation that is not global? How can you do that? Why don't we need to have a global regulation? Why? How can we regulate that from one part of the of the world, especially when they take giants in somewhere else? I don't think it works. Yeah, we don't we don't have any body to regulate globally. <laughs> so so I mean that's that's utopia. So what do you mean? So Elon Musk uh, regulates Elon Musk. everything. <laughs> uh, okay, no, but, 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 but in in reality, <laughs> yeah. we we did the Paris <laughs> Agreement. We came around. So how do we do the Paris Agreement in climate change? Well, there there are global agreements that we should go try and try and move towards trustworthy and so. Isn't isn't I mean, isn't that some of the core here? That in order for this actually to make any sense, that uh, getting to that. Discussion is quite urgently is needed, in yeah, my opinion. Yeah, I think I think Brussels uh, and many uh, of the European leaders from from France and Germany they're prepared to take uh, a cut in competitiveness and mm-hmm. and and maybe make sure that that Europe uh, is lagging behind even more of China and the US if we can secure the the ethical aspects and trustworthiness of AI. But speaking wow. about global versus national, perhaps it's time to move into the next topic, yes, which is uh, the Swedish AI agenda and how we, at least, you know, we can't control the world. We can't uh, define the regulation in every part of, of all the, the world we have, but at least we have opportunities to influence what we do in Sweden. And uh, you've been part of one in, uh, in, since the start of the AI agenda. And uh, perhaps we, we should start a bit about, you know, just describing a bit, uh, what is the Swedish AI agenda? So the Swedish AI agenda is, is currently, uh, uh, it's administrated from, from RISE, which is a research institute in Sweden. But it's basically uh, a formation gathering uh, key stakeholders from all over Swedish society that are interested in AI. Mm-hmm. As users, as developers, uh, as regulators in different ways as as uh, promoters of AI and so on gathering them, them together uh, and sharing sh- uh, sharing and, and basically trying to to identify what should Sweden be doing to advance application and use of, of AI to get more benefits from it in society yeah and help policymakers as yourself at least in, in former years right definitely yeah yeah 
um, policymakers and and uh, but also like to 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 showcase good examples. That everything everything is not about policymakers. The government cannot fix everything in our society. Right. Government is just setting rules and, and promoting some things. Mm. Individual companies, regions, public authorities, and so on. Individuals can do a lot as well. Yeah. So by by showcasing good examples from from throughout society, uh, a lot of good things can be achieved. So as helping well. society at large in some way. Yeah, mm. indeed. Yeah. And it was, uh, I started in, was it 2019, uh, I think, right? Yeah, I think, yeah. And it was these kind of five groups or something, both from industry and from academia and the uh, public sector and uh, what was that, society and, and something else, right? And they all had like 50 representatives in total, I think. Yeah. Trying to, to come to some kind of conclusion, you know, <laughs> how should we... So, who, who, oh, sorry, I, I missed it. Who's sponsoring the uh, agenda? Who, who, what, where does it reside under? It's, it, yeah. it resides on the rice. Uh, rice, rice. Has, yes, rice has you said that. You said they have that, a coordination role and, and are coordinating it, basically. So, And actually, it, it stemmed from when I was working for the Swedish government and the Ministry of Enterprise, one, one observation that we made was that the AI landscape of Sweden is not coordinated whatsoever. Mm-hmm. Back, in, back in 2017, 18, there were no like organizations or, or consortia or anything that were like, gathering, uh, gathering uh, stakeholders from throughout society. So, so there was no one to talk to. There was no way to access many of these stakeholders uh, at the same time. So, so we were reaching out to, to different stakeholders saying that you need to form yourself. You need to gather together to make sure that we're not just hearing scattered opinions from left and right, but gathering something more systematically to be able to... But you were part of pushing that this actually happened and came together, but, but you were at this point in time in readings, Councillor. Yeah, exactly, yeah. And you, you pushed that we need to go in this direction. Could yeah, you, yeah. Did you did you influence it? Did you put could you put an assignment on this, or how was it? Well, uh, that was not an assignment back in those days. But we were talking to to the CEO Rice uh, mm. and and others as well to, to say that this is a, this is a problem. Uh, we, we cannot just talk to Rice, just talk to Vinoma, just talk to Ericsson, mm. just talk to Paltarion. We need to be able to to speak to many that are are impacted or are developing AI and so on at the same time to get get your like uh, joint uh, input in different mm-hmm. ways so please try and work and address that challenge otherwise we, it will be hard to really move things on the policy side as well because yeah. the uh, anyone can write it off that's just Paltarian saying that they're, exactly. they're, they're like a, a special interest we, yeah. that, that goes against what all the others are saying but by gathering together many stakeholders from all, all parts of society it has much more credibility and, and the government can say that well actually this comes from throughout society from from the public side to the private side research uh, and so on and so forth then it has much more weight yeah, but it, it is about direction and focus. You have all this investment we can do, but if you want to get any bang for your buck, Mm. you kind of need to channel it. Yeah. So Mm. we worked for about a year there, and um, then we also had some deliveries, and we spoke in the Swedish parliament, and we published a number of reports, websites, and whatnot. And uh, and now we also need to continue to deliver in in, in some way. And um, I... This is, um, we just had a meeting actually today, I think, or was it yesterday? Yes, yesterday. Yesterday. Yeah. Yesterday. Yeah. Were you both there? Yeah. 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 Nice. And we were planning a bit, you know, the future of uh, AI agenda and, and how we can continue to deliver on it. And I think this is a typical example of the prototype graveyard thing. You know, we had a prototype. We delivered like 25 proposals, like action points saying, yeah. these are, you know, the, the thing that we actually were 
coming to some consensus about in saying if we do this, it could have a positive impact on on the Swedish society, yeah. right? But I think it, that was kind of an interesting moment where someone said, "Well, we're done. We have the proposals now. You know, there's nothing left." And it's it's such a classical comment. I think whoever said, I don't know who said it, but you know, that, that's like an um, AI data scientist saying, "We have a POC. I have you know, the it's done." Yeah, I, I'm 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 my, I'm proud of my model. Yeah. <laughs> Where's the money? Show me the money. <laughs> yeah, no, but it's, I guess it's, it's, it's easier to, to point at the problems and to actually uh, work at solving them. Yeah. Like the, we need to, to, to find a solution for upskilling of, of people that are in the labor market already. With this. Yeah. We can't just work with the people studying in university. That's just like uh, one, one or something percent being added to labor force every year. We need to work with a total labor force. How do we solve that problem? Yeah. Well, that, that one individual actor cannot do that, for yes. instance. Yeah. I think that's so good that we actually do collaborate so much. And, and I think one of what you said, basically, the one of the big problems we have in Sweden, even though it's a small company, company it, country, it's still very fragmented. And, and we have so many different initiatives being taken to try to digitalize and be more data and AI driven. But if we don't coordinate the efforts, it will not have, a, you know, in anyone anywhere close the, the impact it could have if we do coordinate much more, yeah. right? And I think in that aspect, you know, this is super important. But we need to continue, I think, the efforts as well, right? Mm. Yeah. But but let me that. let me put some uh, fuel on the fire, you know, get some heat in this debate or discussion. So uh, I come from a practitioner's point of view or change management how point of view. Throughout my career, what I'm working on, strategy is interesting. Implementing and execution is much more fun. And then you go very, you go from the why to the what, and you end up in the how, you know, how do I organize? How do I do it? How do I code it? How do I, from a societal, you know, engineering point of view, how do I need to organ orchestrate this as a company, as an enterprise, you know, all the way down. What, what I have a problem with, with a lot of uh, the reports, you know, and, and I'm, I'm full, full respect. It's really great pieces of work coming out of dig, coming out of this. It's for me, it's the typical management report staying on the strategy and the what and the why, and then very, very fluffy. In, it would be my normal way of talking in terms of concreteness on how. So what I'm, you know, and this is how I work at Scania, right? I, great idea. Uh, my journey typically start by picking apart the first level and then reconstructing it how do we how do we get this done you know what how do we deliver right mm. and I, I find a lot of the work we are doing now is lacking on the how and the concrete planning and the and the real investment you know it's like it's policy ideas recommendations you know but you I, know I disagree okay yeah please I think there's a lot of prototyping going on actually in, in society it's it's on prototyping scale so it's not not moving the needle in society no. currently, but there's a lot of prototyping going on. So, I mean, there's, there's a handful of universities in Sweden doing shorter, uh, more focused courses for working professionals mm -hmm. uh, and, and pushing that out into society, getting getting people working in companies to go back to university, take a course a couple of weeks and, and to learn data science and applied AI in different ways. So pushing the limits of what can be done in the academic system, they're still stuck in the system. So so they're, they're really limited in what they can do and how they can scale that, but there are piloting it, they're testing it, they're, they're doing it. 
There's pro- pro- there products, in, products in municipalities pushing the limits of what they what they can do with automated systems, um, uh, RPAs and and like AI solutions and so but on. But stuck in but you know are we in the pilot phase? Are we stuck in the pilot graveyard risk? Have we, have we really moved the needle? Have we changed the fundamental we, governance? We have not changed the system. And no. So so we're stuck in we're stuck in small pilots. And like Vinova is doing some really great work as well. Mm-hmm. F- like fund your first AI project. You know, Fantastic. Like you a small really good. Company so can very try positive. things out, test things out, but scaling is lacking. Uh, so it's yeah. it's not moving. It's not moving the needle. Currently. So 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 to take my my, my you know I'm, I'm doing it to get an argument. I love it. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But it's like we're doing it. We're doing good things. But it's sort of going. Okay. So what's next? So what is the system system systemic changes needed? Yeah. What is the fundamental financial go- governing? You know, we haven't, we have, we, it's like, it's a little bit like nice to have. It's like, I, I, I work in a big corporation and we have our innovation hub over here and we sit in beanbags and have fun and we do mm. cool pilots, but I haven't really touched the core PNL. I haven't really touched the core, yeah. core decisions of the company. This is what I see going on. Yeah. So we are doing great stuff, but we are sitting in the beanbags in the innovation, uh, yeah, clown house. Yeah. So, so like the, w- moving from, from just doing pilots to actually changing your, your way of working is, is being achieved in some bigger companies. And then when, when senior management really sees that, okay, we need to take this step. We need to engage with the business and, and make sure that it's not just pilot, but it's solving real problems for real customers so out there. It is happening. It is but happening it's, on But it's going level. very slowly in society. But, but, but yeah. I, I would really then. To be sure, fair. That is happening on company level yes. because the company has come through this. Yeah. But as a society, oh sorry, as Sweden, yeah. to support this and Sweden making a stance. To I'm not talking about Scania or Vattenfall. Yeah. I mean, like this is a spectrum. They are doing it. Sweden supporting this. Mm. Sweden going out of pilot innovation beanbag mode yeah. to. Let's change the system. Uh, let's look at the public sector, and then we can get started there. But, you know? but that's, I think you know it, it's one thing about the prototype graveyard, which is uh, yeah. dangerous and, and uh, something we should really fight. But it's, I think, a different dimension when it comes to fragmentation yeah. and all the different um, you know initiatives we're taking and lack of understanding. You know what are they doing in that part of Sweden or in this type of you know organization in academia or in the industry, etc. And I think for this specific reason, you know, the AI agenda has done great amazingly yeah, great work. good work. And I, I'd like to do a shout out to Jeanette Nielsen as well, who has yeah. been coordinating this, because she, she had more or less the impossible task of trying to, you know, bring strong-headed people from academia and industry and, and people like myself in, in trying to make them all come to some consensus and agree on here's a set of, you know, recommended action points that we want to take. Yeah. I never thought that would work. Yeah, but, but, I must say. So, but, let, know, but I, 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 really I want to show my humbleness that is, we are starting from somewhere, and then you need to take the first step to get get from fragmentation to something together, yeah. and then you need to do the the, uh, the forming and storming. You need to test and try mm. and learn, and this is all great part of the journey. Mm. But I'm eager to see how do we take the next step. I think that has been good and we have taken that path yeah. but now we need to gear to the next gear what is the next gear after 
piloting. I think that's what I'm looking but for. But yeah. so you know, piloting is a different thing. You know, let's let's try to separate. You know, the different problems. I think you know, piloting and pri- and building prototypes and trying to get out of the prototype graveyard is important, but a different problem. I yeah. Would okay. Say. Okay. Fair enough. So um, fragmentation and trying to simply, you know, we are such a small country in Sweden, and we do have some really big corporations. We have some really awesome startups, and we have a level of Uh, digitalization that is superior to i would say to to most other co- countries and and if we simply can work a bit more closely together i think we have an opportunity to really be uh coming out in in a really really positive yeah, but, way uh, but for me I, i love what you are saying it's really positive but what is it what is the next step here what is the next secret ingredient in the sauce that we need to focus on right now because it's a little bit yeah, like but, but isn't it, isn't it obvious I, mean, we, I don't think it's obvious. I, I, think, I think it's think, hard. I think it's obvious if you see it because it, like every single thing, it will come to its uh, path. So you go. You have done this so many times in your in your in your in the uh, business side. Yes. Yeah, in the business, in you know, everything. So you basically you have enlightenment. What it is exploration. You know, okay. you want to try okay. it and etc. It's like self-driving vehicles. Now okay. it's available. We now we need to regulate the roads and etc. So we need to have this time to distill what is happening right now. So I think it will come because organizations, if you see in the Nordic, they are not, uh, they are not, um, uh, we are saying they are very low mature. They're very low mature when it comes to going to production, but it's coming. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that we have moved on from the uh, pioneering yeah, so we have moved away yeah. from so in the last So people know the processes. People know that they have problem with data quality. People know that they have like a problem with uh, how to solve like organization and talent yeah. and everything else. Now it's about like the vision, the regulations, scaling yeah, I think, it. I, I, think there, I think there's a really intrinsic uh, uh, um, key challenge as well between, between the private sector and the public sector that makes it difficult to go for, from, from the pox to the scaling in the public sector. Because you know, in the private sector, you can, in, in the end, you can have a, a senior decision making taking the uncomfortable decision like you, and, and saying that, I know this will be bad for you because you want to keep working on your thing, but now we're shifting to this. And, and that's an uncomfortable decision, but they have the power in the end to take that decision. Because they're they're answering to the to the uh, shareholders in the end, mm. but in the public sphere, when you have policymakers, it's difficult to step on those toes because they will shout, and you will be having difficulties with getting reelected and so on. Uh, and like having bad press is is bad in in politics, so it's difficult for them to take those uncomfortable decisions, changing uh, changing how Swedish universities are run, for instance. Uh, that would be that that is hard. Uh, everybody agrees that it has to be done to to promote more lifelong learning uh, and learning throughout your career and so on, tapping into that knowledge that is in university. But mm, mm. getting that out there, changing the rules for how they operate, that is uncomfortable. Yeah, all change ultimately is not real change if it does. I mean, like it hurts in order to. It's like training a muscle, right? You go to the gym and you know you know you have training, sweat, you have hurt hurting muscle, then you're growing, you're building muscle. So I think that's the truth. In closing for the AI agenda, any thoughts you have, Johan, about you know how can we make sure that the ideas and the action points we have have as big impact as possible? Any thoughts, you know, what we need to do there to to make it happen? Um, I think it's I think it's essential that we think about how everybody can contribute to realizing these these action points. It's not just one. Yeah. 
entity Sorry. that are supposed to realize this thing. Uh, we have to have, there has to be many initiatives, but they can, they can be coordinated. So we can we can allow many many uh, solutions to, to blossom, but keeping it coordinating and keeping them keeping them talking to each other, I think is is important. Not because otherwise we will have people waiting for others to solve the problem. Yes. So okay. upskilling will be solved by someone else yes. and working on. On this solution over here, some, someone else will do that. Uh, and waiting for regulation, waiting for someone else. I think it's important to make sure that we are encouraging uh, solutions across the board. Signing ownership, you know, you take this challenge and we take this one and together we solve, you know, the whole thing. Yeah, yeah indeed. I think that sounds awesome. Awesome. Um, should we move to another topic perhaps? And uh, we have so many of them and I'm... I'm struggling a bit to find which one is most interesting here. Um, I think potentially uh, we have already spoken so much about you know the AI divide. I don't think we need to move that right, on more. That, yeah, I think we covered that yeah. indirectly. <laughs> yes, and um, I think we've spoken a lot about you know the challenges that especially big corporations have, and we don't need to move there. So let me ask you then, Johan. You can choose, but uh, between two of them which one you prefer mm -hmm. to speak about. One could be more speaking about the pandemic and you know how that will impact the economy and if we can use data and AI in some way to have some kind of symbiotic, symbiotic effect in trying to make sure that we come out post-corona corona in, in a good way. Or it can be also more philosophical thinking. There will be a point when we have a singularity, when you know data and AI or AI in general will perhaps be out of control and that could have some potential negative uh, or positive impact on our uh, society. If you were to choose between these two, which one, I, I know what you're going to say, but which one are you, <laughs> would you like to speak about? Um, good question. Uh, I, I mean, on, on the second thing, second topic, I would say that I mean, what I'm seeing as solutions out there is, uh, is far away from singularity. It's, 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 it's far away, yeah. yeah. And like the public uh, public idea of what AI is, and, and now like when the AI definition includes statistical solutions, <laughs> that, I think that's a bit indicative. <laughs> it says, it's yeah. indicative. It's, that's it's, a very it good says point. like what we're actually talking about is like regression. Uh, don't, don't worry about things like statistical that. regression. Yeah, it's like so. Statistical yeah. regression is still yeah. Yeah, okay. it's still considered AI. So so keep yeah. in mind that now we have new EU regulatory framework for AI, so singularity <laughs> is not possible. <laughs> <laughs> Be, yeah, it could come from China, perhaps. Exactly. Yeah, or Russia. Or uh, okay, but the pandemic then, in, and we have seen, you know, it being influencing so many different parts of our society, of course, from a medical point of view, but also from an economical, from a psychological point of view and societal point of view and, and, and so many different aspects of it. But if we focus perhaps a bit I mean, the medical is hard to say. I mean, I'm not a medical expert. Your parents are, and yeah, perhaps but, you are as well. But, but this, like, this yeah. is something else. But if we focus perhaps on the, on the more economic aspects of it, and we, of course, want to basically reboot the economy in some way. And this is actually what we, we try to do with Data and I in, in, in many ways. So mm -hmm. saying, you know, if you want to have your company being part of an AI-driven future, you know, what do you need to do to reboot yourself into that? Reinvent yourself to be relevant. And I think this is a, a situation where we potentially can have a symbiotic effect of, you know, you need to reboot because you had a you know horrible year. 
perhaps you can also take the chance to also move in a direction that is more sustainable when it comes to also compete from a more global point of view or what's your what's your thinking when it comes to pandemic and the economical impact it will have yeah i think it i mean in in, in one sense uh, everything is up in the air so so things are changing and and the organizations are seizing the moment when they see the customers are more open to finding new solutions to instead of having service technicians coming out and doing service on a machine you want yeah, to do it right. remotely and like yes. that that whole shift and that mindset shift in the customer can can open up for doing more 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 software driven and data driven services and so on. many things are changing and then obviously many, many things are still the same as well and like why we we humans go the easiest path so mm-hmm. so like anytime we can just go back to to how we, we used to do it that that can be a simple thing to uh to, to to bounce back to but i think like sufficiently many things have changed and will st- remain the the uh, remain changed i think pa- post post pandemic and i like the the business travel obviously how how companies now are meeting more than ever so like having having all these virtual meetings has enabled them to have more cross functional meetings having less uh less time traveling to meetings and mm-hmm. and just like wasted time in, in in a sense so more more uh, high quality meetings can be achieved in that sense getting more so there are positive effects that we can see in this way definitely yeah so it's opening up for collaboration across the globe across time zones across disciplines and so on so many things are are, are more possible uh, po- possible in that sense but then not all of those possibilities are being realized obviously so mm. And, and many are stuck within their old systems and still have to deliver on the same uh, same metrics, mm. and so uh, so so we don't have so much change in there. But within the areas where you have metrics that are really promoting um, that kind of more flexible behavior to solve the customers' needs, I think it's pretty fascinating to see how 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 people are stepping up in those mm. uh, those areas. I mean, I think we've seen like a leapfrogging in in terms of you know digitalization and certainly like education and now they've been forced to just move every course they have online. And it's not been an easy ride, of course, but they've been forced to do it when you really pushed against the wall to do something. You can do more things than you perhaps realize in some way. And and just take the the academic sector and all the academic conferences that we have, and every one of them is moving online, and mm. and suddenly you can join you know, the top AI conference that usually costs like many thousands of clients to even register for mm. for free. Yeah, and and it actually opens up for having a much more open uh, scientific community, uh, which spreads the knowledge in a way it hasn't been possible before. So. Even though, of course, it has a lot of negative, you know, impact, there are also some positive ones, right? And it's been forcing us to digitalize. And if you digitalize stuff yeah. or digitize stuff and not only digitalize stuff, then perhaps we can start to actually use AI even more in the future. But right? but I I have a question. Yeah, I, okay, you go okay. first. Okay, so I, I, I love this. Uh, I have one part of this show. Because Gordon has to be digitalizing a lot as well. Uh, yes, so I can tell you those people that uh, uh, that the event organizers that uh, lower the prices from 4,000 euros to zero, that was a no pricing plan from the beginning. So that was a wrong thing to do. Um, but I have a f- question. for you. I read the article today on Forbes about is it time to automize CEOs? 
<laughs> yeah, but uh, uh, here it is. This is very smart. So like, uh, and you actually stumble over that because you said like the decision making is done where it's nearer no. to, no, it's done where the information lies. So the yes. person actually who has the most access to information and data mm. will be the person who actually can decide. So who is the best person or a thing to decide when there is enough data and information. So therefore, the analogy, do we actually need a CEO, right? Servant leadership. We yeah, need I, and I like that. So like, okay, so uh, it's good. So the question is, can we automize governments and Oof. politicians? <laughs> <laughs> no, because data never tells the whole story and, mm -hmm. and not everything can be measured uh, in, in, in the end. So, so there, there needs to be values that guide decisions as well, because there's always a lot of uncertainty. Even if you have all the data in the world, there will be uncertainty uh, and, and there will be predictions that don't work because people are, are, are not uh, logical. We're not just rational machines that, that act uh, in a coherent manner. And I would add it to that, you know, AI is good at some things, but um, people are good at other things. And AI is certainly really bad at the things that humans are good at, which is, you know, background knowledge and the general reasoning that AI is so far away from having. But no human could ever go through the amount of data that an AI system can do. Mm -hmm. So I think, you know, by combining the two and having, mm -hmm. you know, a government that actually is more data-driven, amazing, that could be a... Yeah, well, imagine we, having a, a data-driven government in the future. We didn't go there, but w there is a really fun meta discussion when you put the uh, AI EU regulation on governmental work, you know, put it back, you know, so flipping the whole regulation, uh -huh. if we could improve the regulation itself, if we could, if we could, if we could improve um, the way we do regulation itself. So it's a little bit of a meta philosophical. We just asked GPT-3 to produce all the regulation yeah. in the future and everything <laughs> will be solved, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I read about that and the, 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 the thing that they tried in, uh, where, where was it? Uh, in uh, Microsoft? Uh, no, in the early, they, they tried in the early medical. Um, uh, so basically they, they produced like some kind of a chatbot. And the chatbot basically said to a person, uh, it was just a line like, uh, I feel very depressed, should I kill myself? Yeah. And then it says yeah, like, this yes. Is the, uh, yeah. the old original 50s. It was really, really a uh, nice yeah. article as well. Good. Awesome. The time is up. And um, oh, as usual, great to have you here. But, you know, Juan, what's next in your life? Personally, professionally, what's happening, uh, happening coming months? Um, coming months, so a, a lot of things going on. Uh, a, a lot of our companies are stepping up and on working to apply AI. So a lot of cool things professionally and, and Combiant and the network. Yeah. It's really cool to see how companies are maturing and, and wanting just to, to push the envelope and really move the needle in, in their industries. Uh, uh, what else? Uh, personally, uh, we actually had uh, had a third kid in January. Oh, so congratulations. congratulations. Thank you very much. Uh, so uh, after summer, I'm, I'll be going on paternity leave for, for some yeah. time. That's, nice. so that's going to be nice. Awesome. awesome. Yeah. Anyone that you would recommend uh, to be on this podcast, someone that you would actually like to listen to, to be um, interrogated by, by us two? <laughs> Uh, one that comes to mind is, is your former colleague, Ali Sarafi, who's, who's oh, right, heading up the Comiant Mix, uh, yeah. who's, who's uh, more first-hand and more and more on the technical side, seeing AI applications that's throughout the network. Idea. So that's, yeah. that's an, an, an interesting bit. And, and then I guess uh, could be some actually first-hand regulators as well um, 
from uh, from the European side or from the Swedish side as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, someone from Vinova perhaps could be interesting as well, how they're pushing the... You want, I have a request. Why don't you help me? You, you have some fantastic uh, co- companies that you're working on uh, on a daily basis. So it would be very fantastic to get the, the, the CXO perspective on AI, you know, to be, to, to you know, try to th- talk about why it is really challenges. I, I'm really, really humbled to be on this, you know, this Ghania side or the Vattenfall side. So if you ha- if you would help us find some good names here, that would be fantastic. Something if you're doing some great work, uh, that would be fantastic. I think for the listeners to get an inside track of of, of the CEO pr- perspective, sure. if you can help us with this. Yeah, I can give it a try. Maybe, maybe, maybe they won't have two hours to spare. No, no, no. <laughs> we we will work. Two around. hours thirty, no problem. Two two thirty. Yeah, ten yeah. minutes. Ten minutes is okay. <laughs> we'll do it like that. Thank you very much, uh, Johan, for, for this amazing discussion. Um, you are a wealth of knowledge, and I think also you're very good in communicating uh, in a very pedagogical way, yes, which very I, much. I really appreciate Thanks. a lot. And uh, looking forward to a lot of future collaboration as well. So thank you very much for, for this time, and um, let's have some more beers. Let's have some more beers. Thank you very much. Thank you, guys. It's been a pleasure.